Slater foot there. Wednesday and you know what that means welcome to episode 52 of the APZ football podcast I'm Gary Scott joining me this week as always it's Gavin J Baxter Gav how's it going I'm all right thank you yeah um had a few good few walks this weekend you know trying to get the steps in to get the kilometers under the belt for the ABZ FP Aberdeen to Gothenburg challenge and my word it is toasty out there so Hopefully we've got some kind of special program in place to keep likes of Liam Scales and David Bates, you know, in in good shape in these in these tough times for the trying times for uh, the fairer skinned of our society. <laughs> I I loved how much you were trying to desperately make that like politically correct in any way, shape, or form. Well done, Gav. I'm good. Thank you. Solid. In a week that saw the 2022-23 Scottish football campaign get underway as the Premier Sports League Cup group stages got us up and running that saw a Declan Gallagher-inspired St Mirren endure the big dick experience that saw Sevco fail to pop enough pennies in the metre to keep the floodlights going on in Portugal where they were, coincidentally, 1-0 down to Sunderland in a pre-season game and that saw Stenhouse Muir manager Stephen Swift swiftly sent to the car park as Craig Bryson failed to inspire the Warriors to an opening day victory. It's another busy week on the ABZ FP. We start by taking a look at our victory. That's right, Gav, our victory. The Dons are back. It's like we've never been gone. Our victory over Peterhead on Sunday in the League Cup. We then take a look at the latest news out of AB24 before we then turn our attention to this Wednesday evening's clash at Pataudry with Dumbarton in the company of Dumbarton's official poet-in-residence, Stephen Watt. Before, after the break, we bring you the latest in our line of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. And this week, in the company of a man who came through the Don's youth system, making his first team debut in August 1996, before going on to captain the side, eventually making 159 appearances in that famous red shirt, scoring five goals. And for the first time ever, I think, Gab, correct me if I'm wrong, by doing so, we have the opposition manager on the show to preview an upcoming game as we sit down with Darren Young to talk about all things AFC and what we can expect from Tuesday's trip to the Fourth Bank Stadium. Yeah, you're definitely right. This is the first uh, opposition manager because um, Malky Mackay just won't return our phone calls. I wonder why. First things first, before we get started with the show proper, Gav, the news broke on Saturday, eventually confirmed by the club later in the day as to the sad passing of Don's legend Davy Robb the brush as he was affectionately nicknamed made 345 appearances in red scoring 98 goals during his time with the Don's scoring the winning goal in the 1976 League Cup final against Celtic having also been part of the side who won the 1970 Scottish Cup against the same opposition a true maverick of the game it is fair to say an absolute one of a kind our thoughts go out to the family of Davy Robb in light of his passing, a true Don's legend who sits within the top 20 all-time lists for both appearances and goals for our historic club. And one would like to think a deserving recipient, Gavin, of a spot in the AFC Hall of Fame at the next available opportunity. Yep, those accolades speak for themselves and all that's left to do is just raise a toast to Davy Robb. 
Absolutely. I think the brush would, would certainly go along with this one. To the brush. Peterhead nil, Aberdeen 2, Balmer Stadium, the 10th of July, 2022. The Premier Sports Cup group stage, a vastly changed starting 11 from our last competitive outing against St Mirren on the final day of last season. Saw senior debuts for five players in the form of new skipper Anthony Stewart, Kel Roos, who was given an odd over Joe Lewis, Liam Scales, Jaden Richardson and Mason Hancock, all in the starting lineup as the Dons lined up in a 4-2-3-1 formation with McCrory and Povara anchoring the midfield with Hayes, Bajowin and Kennedy providing the support to Christian Ramirez acting as the lone striker in warm but blustery conditions. It's fair to say, what else would you get in the northeast of Scotland? It took Aberdeen just five minutes to fashion an opening. McCrory's 20-yard effort smashing off the bar and hitting off goalkeeper Newman before eventually settling behind for a corner kick. Tame calls for a penalty on the 15-minute mark as Bajowin tumbled under the challenge of the keeper. Before Vinny was then provider for a chance for Ramirez on 26 minutes, his ball into the back post just out of reach for the American. McCrory with another effort from distance just before the half-hour mark that Newman also did well to turn behind. Hancock then suffered what looked like an innocuous-looking Injury from a corner that required treatment before Newman pulled off another decent save to deny Ramirez as his effort from a Hayes cutback looped goal bound. Mason Hancock's afternoon ended just on the 35-minute mark, replaced by Marley Watkins with Johnny Bay, Johnny Bays, Johnny Hayes heading to the left back berth. Another near miss from the Dons a couple of minutes later. Kennedy's fine cross to the back stick was met by Richardson, and his pullback from Watkins just evaded the Welshman. And the Dons thought they had the breakthrough on 42 minutes. Fine work from Richardson down the right flank and his cutback was smashed home by McCrory before the referee pulled the play back for an infringement that no one else in the ground seemed to have spotted. Welcome to Scottish football for all of our new recruits. Halftime though, nil, nil. The second half started just as the first had ended. The Dons well on top with Ramirez having a couple of efforts straight in Newman before Peterhead began to grow into the game. A speculative 25-yard effort by ex-Dundee United player Ryan Dow had to be tipped by him by Roos before the corner resulted in Scales having to be alert to knock a ball off the line before Peterhead finished it off. The Dons then began to regain control. Another Ramirez header stopped by Newman before the Dons finally, finally made the breakthrough. A driving run from Kennedy eventually saw him dragged down in the box. Perhaps a touch soft, but Christian Ramirez stepped up to send Newman the wrong way. And the Dons were a goal to the good. Ryan Duncan soon entered the park in place of Kennedy before Ramirez doubled hit the Dons lead with a powerful header from a Watkins cross, which Newman could only parry into the net. Truth be told, the Dons were then on easy street as Jack Milne making his competitive debut for the Dons and Liam Harvey entered the fray to replace Ross McCrory and Christian Ramirez. The Dons seeing it out comfortably, taking the three points home to top Group A in the Premier Sports Cup. Gav, your thoughts on that one? Well, first things first, let's bring back to the show, now that the competitive games are back underway, the Jim Goodwin win-loss record as Aberdeen manager. Today's victory makes it three wins, five losses, and five draws. But most importantly, one win, one played this season. We're going to win the league. Um, I thought it was just a very, very professional performance again um i think we went about our work effectively um made the most of our superior fitness presumably uh having done a lot of work in spain especially that's spain for those that still are not aware Um, apparently so yes um you know interesting 
selection. Um, I suspect that there's going to be a lot of rotation throughout this group stage, getting as many minutes into the players' legs as possible. Don't necessarily think that this team that played today is indicative of what's going to be the starting eleven come the league season. I thought the young players all acquitted themselves very well. I think the players looked sharp. Um, you can definitely tell there's still we're not firing on all cylinders in any way. We're obviously still in preseason, but you know, kept kept harrying them, kept going at them, kept bringing the game to them, and deserved the win without doubt. Uh, maybe a soft penalty to get the opening goal, but I think it was a penalty uh, by the by the letter of the law. And yeah, satisfying, satisfying win, clean sheet. I know it's Peter Head, um, League One opposition, but you know, clean sheets were very few and far between the last 18 months. So to get one in the first game of the season was very satisfying. And I thought all the lads making their debuts did did pretty well. So yeah, a lot to be uh, a lot to be encouraged by. Well come on to I guess the new boys um in a minute. Uh, were you uh, I saw a few people at halftime, for example, panicking because it was no no obviously at that stage. Were you were you in a place of having fear? I mean I tweeted at the time saying I feel like I could just copy and paste anything from last season at the moment, which you know I don't think was necessarily unfair. It was a bit of a flipping, I suppose. It felt very similar to a lot of games last season where we enjoyed a lot of possession, a lot of ball. Did we really create a huge amount of clear-cut chances? Maybe in retrospect, actually, now when you look at it, we we, put, we did actually create a few decent chances in that first half, actually. Um, you know, McCrory's effort from outside the box is a bit speculative, but it's a good hit. I did think in the first half, it seemed like there's certainly been a message to our midfielders to at least have a bit more pot shots on goal from distance rather than just, you know, hanging on the ball. I think we're moving the ball forward a lot quicker than we have done for a little while. I think Scales and Stuart in particular were always looking to try and get the balls down They'd look for simple balls side to side or in the midfield if they could, but if there was a run from a striker or from a second striker or one of the wingers in through the lines, they were looking to play balls in the channels. That's where we we got some joy early doors. That's where the initial Bajan penalty shot comes from. I don't like the penalty kick um, no. in, in any way, shape, and form, but that's where that opportunity comes from. There's a few more of those in the second half. But yeah, were you kind of were you panicking at all second at, at halftime just with regards to the fact it was still nil nil? This is a Peter Head side who, let's not forget, had been thumped by four goals to nil last week by Dundee, who were relegated, who were scrambling until Friday night to find a goalkeeper. And, you know, I think they could only field four guys on the bench today. Were you kind of a bit worried at halftime or did you just think this is going to come? I think given the picture that was painted by Colin from the, the Bluetooth podcast regarding their, their pre-season and the difficulty in getting players in, as opposed to the number of players that have left, I actually thought Peter Head were very well organized and very well drilled um the conditions the pitch i think lent itself to their their tactics um i understand because i do think that you know if you look back at it first half maybe you could say that but at the same time you know ramirez has a shot inside the penalty box that's well saved um you get the mccrory goal which is disallowed which i yeah don't know what that was disallowed for presumably some kind of like linesman thinking those yeah tug on the defender by Richardson I'm not really sure um, so in that sense you could easily be saying that you're 2-0 up um, unlucky McCrory's effort that bounces off the keeper and not, doesn't go in as well I did get the impression that if we just kept at it and kept at it the goals will come um, I would be lying if I said I wasn't concerned when Ryan Dow hit that shot which it was a good effort I think Kel Roos you know I think it was a bit of a save for the cameras so to speak I think it was relatively comfortable actually for a guy of his size but right after that you know we then have the the corner and there's the scramble and last season that's the kind of thing that peterhead score from 
Yeah. And it was nice to see like Liam Scales and the defenders like really work hard to support the keeper in that situation. Because if that goes in, then yeah, we're then talking about a completely different game. It's hard to read too much into this right now because obviously this is not the level of team we're going to be playing regularly through the season. But in that sense, that spirit, that competitiveness was encouraging. And no, I, I felt that as the game went on, the conditions, our fitness will will play its part and yeah, we'll get the goal. And that's what happened. Yeah, absolutely. In terms, we'll come on to, I think the new boys in a, in a, minute, a minute or two. I want to kind of talk about them in a bit more detail because it's the first time we've really had a chance to see them in competitive action. What did you think about the decision initially? I mean, we tweeted out before the game. I thought that the only big decision that had to be made by the manager going into the game today in terms of starting 11 was going to be who he decided to put in goals. And he gave Kelly Roosh the nod ahead of Joe Lewis today. Your thoughts on that decision? Because I, to me, going by Jim Goodwin's press conference on Friday, that means he views Roosh as being his number one at the moment. I think it's potentially a sign that the number one shirt is up for grabs. It would not surprise me at all if Joe Lewis starts the game against Dunbarton on Wednesday. Well, the only reason I'm saying that is because Jim Goodwin in his presser on Friday was saying he's not good. he doesn't believe in having like a goalkeeper for the Cups mm-hmm. and one for the league, and he's going to play his strongest 11 in every game in the League Cup. He is not going to rotate to eat players. He's not going to, to do anything like that, which makes me go... Does that mean Roos is the number one? Well, I mean, then conversely, would I mean, does Mason Hancock feature in the strongest 11 if Marley Watkins is available? Uh, probably not, I guess, but so, Hancock has, uh, we, we, we don't have a left back on the books at the moment. Well, you know, Jack McKenzie's injured. Johnny Hayes can play there, but he clearly wants to play Johnny Hayes further at the park, which I'm not against. Yeah. It's fair to say. Clearly, Hancock did well in Spain. Remember, we were in Spain. Because yep. he specifically name-checked him, I think, after the um, after the trip. He and Jack Milne, yes. Yeah, so maybe Hancock does have that shirt at this moment in time until Jack McKenzie comes back. I, I do wonder if that statement was perhaps looking further into the competition. And I would find well, it hard to believe that we're not going to rotate through this group stage and get as many minutes into as many legs as we possibly can. I... I strongly suspect that Julius will start on Wednesday and we'll swap for the um, the remaining fixtures. And then I think that whoever's got the gloves at Celtic Park the first game of the season, that'll be the the sign of who the number one is. But you know what, Kel Roos, I think he did. I think he did his work well today. You say that. If Roos has the gloves on Wednesday night, is Roos the number one? Then at that point, I will say, yeah, that would be the indication. Yeah, okay. I thought Roos did fight. I mean, he had very, very little to do. The save he made was, I think, um, yeah, we touched on it during the, the, the review there. Maybe a bit for the cameras, but good concentration because he had nothing else to do. Um, his distribution looked fine. No real concerns for me on that that side of things. Again, it's hard to read into too much about a goalkeeper in a game like that today where he's had very, very little to do, but thought he did all right. Um, as you say, I think it'll be interesting to see who is the number one on, or who's in the sticks on Wednesday night. I think that'll tell us an awful lot about where Jim Goodwin views the number one shirt being uh, with the goalkeepers this season. Somebody specifically asked us to do this actually on the the podcast tonight. So fuck it, we'll do it. Just talk about the young players coming through again today. So you had obviously Mason Hancock with his first competitive start for the club Um, today. Also that got curtailed just about 35 minutes into the game with what looked like a bit of an odd injury to be honest. Hopefully that's nothing too serious. Uh, Jack Milne also made his competitive debut this afternoon, coming off the bench in the second half. 
Ryan Duncan and Liam Harvey all getting minutes today. You still have Connor Barron to come into the team once he recovers from injury. You add that to the likes of uh, Jack McKenzie, who's there, there or thereabouts, still coming through the team. I mean, in terms of just, you know, Calvin Ramsey's only just left the club. Um, good signs, I guess, from the Youth Academy. We seem to have a batch of players again now who are starting to, to potentially push their way into the thinking of the manager in the first team. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll go through them all in, in terms of um, who's made me the most positive today, shall we say, from their appearances. And, you know, Liam Harvey came on, he got about things in the key, had an opportunity to create an opportunity where he maybe hung on to the ball a little bit too long or just didn't make the right pass. Um, by that point, the game was kind of a formality and I don't think we were really attacking as such. Um, but we, we saw Liam towards the end of last season. We know he's highly rated, so... Excited to see what what more there is to come from him. If if Ramirez is staying, if um if Miofsky comes in and that's it, then presumably Liam Harvey has a has a part to play in yeah, this season in so. the first team to support the attacking options. Um, Mason Hancock, you know, started the game. Um, first time I've seen him. Looks it's an interesting one because he he doesn't look to me like what I'd expect a centre back in Scotland to look like. And I did kind of think that he looked a little. You know, a little nervous, maybe a little bit. Uh, maybe the occasion got to him, you know, first start for Aberdeen. Um, big game, you know. We've talked about these games that even though it's lower league opposition, the, the cup is so important to us. And I'm sure he wanted to get off to a, a flyer. And I thought he was maybe the occasion we got to him a little bit. And then, as you say, he went off injured, hopefully with nothing too serious. Jack Milne looks like a real presence in the center of the park yeah absolutely and yeah, yeah. i thought he came on again the game was kind of dead but he came on but i thought he was tidy um bearing mind jack mill as well they see them as being a center half now he's got a good build about him for being such a young lad he's got a whether they play center half or whether he plays center midfield he's got a real future there just even from a physical perspective i would imagine yeah and he's going to provide options and he looked yeah. like he was very very comfortable on the ball he played yeah. some nice balls through the lanes to out wide that created opportunities so Yep, he's another one that I'm excited to watch progress. 18 years old, I believe. So to yep. be at that kind of physical stature, it's, you know, only going to grow and grow and become, you know, a better player with time and more experience. And he maybe only touched the ball, you know, like five, six, seven times. But Ryan Duncan, he's got something about him. He is another one that's like, he's 18. He must be like six foot two, six foot three. Yeah. Both feet look quick. He looks like he's got a lot of, um, he looks like the kind of guy, that the kind of character. That it's like, he's not got any fear about him. No, and you know, wide player can go with both either foot, which is an enormous asset. He is another one that out of nowhere I'm looking at and thinking this could be another guy that we're selling for. I mean, don't want to get ahead of ourselves, of course, but he's like he's got all the potential in the world. Yeah, I mean, you look at Ryan Duncan now, and I go, he's way ahead of the pecking order than Conor McLennan, for example, already. Oh yeah, which is it's not saying much. I mean, I think both of our respective dogs are probably ahead of Conor McLennan in the pecking order right now. But he came on today and he did what he had to do. He kind of grabbed the game by the scruff of neck wherever he got an opportunity to, to get the ball on the feet, spun a couple of defenders, took the ball down the line, was aggressive in his work, fearless as well, threw in some good set-piece corners as well, much better than what had gone before he came on the pitch. <clears throat> a, a really impressive cameo, I thought, from Ryan Duncan today. I think we saw more of the Ryan Duncan that we've been, that, that's been talked about coming through the youth system than what we've perhaps seen so far. Um, but that's always going to, potentially be the case um, that these guys need a bit of time. I think the loan at Peterhead last year did him a world of good in terms of just getting him ready to play first team football against men, 
it was good. It was an impressive performance from Ryan Duncan when he came off the park today. It does give me a warm, fuzzy feeling, I must admit, about the, the way that our youth setup is currently working. I thought Mason Hancock, I mean, it, it, you kind of touched on it. I thought he looked a bit nervy. Left back's not really his position. He is, you know, he's, he's really a left side of centre half. He was meant to be going out on loan to our growth. Um, whether that still happens or not, I don't know. Obviously, he impressed in Spain. I don't know if you know we were in Spain for pre-season enough that they've now looked at that and thought, actually, there's maybe something they would want to work with. We don't know how serious the injury to Jack McKenzie is at this moment in time. So, But we'll talk to Darren Young later on. Darren had Mason Hancock at Sterling Albion last season on loan, and they played him at left-back as well. But they agree, Darren agrees, he's left. He's a left-sided centre-half really every day of the week. And, uh, you know, Darren... We'll talk for himself later on, but he he views this guy as being a guy that you know has all the attributes to be potentially a very very good footballer going forward as well. Jack Mill thought he did really well in the short time he was on the park. The game was kind of a bit of a dead rubber by this point, but it was neat and tidy in his work. Liam Harvey again made a couple of good runs, slightly better with his decision making. Probably plays in Marley Watkins a little bit earlier for what would have been probably a third goal. But all in all. It's just nice to see us having players now starting to break through in, in all positions across the park. You know, that's Mason Hancock at the back, Jack Mill who could play centre-half or centre-field, Ryan Duncan who could play off the flank at number 10 or as a number 9 if you really need him to, and Liam Harvey up front as well. It's great stuff. A couple at Emma Connor Bannon on top of that. Plus, you've still got guys like Keane Nguyenia kicking about the squad today. Tom Ritchie, who I expect will probably go out on loan, I'd imagine, sometime soon. I do wonder whether we see Nguyenia go out on loan now. Um, if it feels as though he's slipped behind Hancock, potentially, in the pecking order. Interesting to see what happens with these guys. Robin, hopefully that kind of met your aspirations about talking to the young guys. In terms of the new boys today, um, who stood out to you? What did you What did you think of the performances from... We've, we've talked about Russo already. He had very little to do. So let's look at Liam Scales, yep. um, Anthony Stewart, new captain. We'll talk about the captaincy thing later on. Jaden Richardson. All of them showed showed some good things. Um, Jaden Richardson showed what we've been told about. Um, a very good engine, a lot of energy, and a lot of pace going down the flank. Um, seems to have developed a good understanding with Anthony Stewart um, in terms mm-hmm. of like Anthony Stewart finding him with some, uh, I was going to say, long-range balls, but, you know, if they're almost, like, direct, long passes, shall we say. They're not punts, you know. Could have done better with some of his delivery, but we've, that's what we've heard as well. Yeah. So, positive signs there. I think he's, I think he's going to grow. He, he's, another, he's another one. He's a very good size for, like, a professional footballer in the modern game. Seems to have a good understanding with Stuart. Seems to have a good understanding with Vicente Bajau, and could only grow and grow with more experience. Anthony Stewart, you know, solid as a rock. He could really tell it so much through watching the game through Premier Sports. But, you know, you hear from people that were there that he was constantly talking, constantly leading the team. Like he lost a header, won all his tackles, won all his challenges. Very neat and tidy. And, you know, Liam Scales, likewise. Um, obviously, neither of them were particularly tested as such um, mm-hmm. for any sustained period of time. But they both look neat and tidy on the ball. Liam Scales looks like he's comfortable stepping out of defence um, to create a, a different angle. Yeah, I mean, not much more to say than other than three pretty solid debuts. Yeah, I thought Richardson was a bit... I don't know what to say about Richardson. Like, he... First of all, he's absolutely rapid, obviously, getting up and down the line. Very, very quick, which is great to see. I thought sometimes he was a bit tentative. Like, when he arrived at a ball, like, even with his pace, it was a bit tentative in terms of 
if he was up against somebody else physically or whatever. I don't know if that was just the way that the game was today. Whether that's, I don't know. It looked a bit awkward, but I, I, he kind of summed up everything I think we've been told about him, which is, as you just said, physically very, very you know good, rapid up the wing, decision making sometimes in terms of final ball needs a bit of work on it. A work in progress potentially, but I think you know anybody being realistic would say that Calvin Ramsey was still a work in progress. Um, they're very different players, though. I think that's the thing that people are going to have to bear in mind. Jaden Richardson is much more of a, I guess you kind of, call, I guess you'd kind of compare a bit to like Andy Robertson almost. He's much more quick up and down the line than than Calvin Ramsey ever was, but he's clearly not as skillful on the ball as what Calvin Ramsey is. So I think if people try to compare the two. It's not the way to do it. He's very much a player in his own right, but I thought it was okay for him today. He, again, he wasn't really tested defensively, so we'll see what happens there. I know that, that was a, the one thing that was highlighted, I think, to us by, by um, Lee Curtis from the Derby Telegraph about Jaden potentially defensively is not as hot as he is going forward, but we'll see. Liam Scales, I thought, had a really, really good game today. Um, again, they weren't neither Scales nor Stuart, we'll come up to Stuart in a minute, were overly tested. But I was really impressed with Scales' reading of the game. It was nice to watch a centre-half of ours be as comfortable with the ball on his left foot. Was was really good. And he also seemed to understand the time when to be an old-school defender, clear lines, and when he had time to play and when he had time to pick a pass. And I liked that. It wasn't like... It wasn't... He wasn't welded to either one of those philosophies it wasn't always just hoof the ball long and get rid of it but it also wasn't going to try and play football all the time it was it was playing football at the right times it was being sensible when he needed to be don't think he lost a header either all game which is good seems to have a decent turn of pace about him so I was I was very encouraged by Liam Scales this afternoon and then Anthony Stewart I thought in the I'm not gonna lie in the opening five or six minutes he shelled one straight out of play he got caught on the ball by the number nine um, for Cove, whose name now completely escapes me, he was ex eh, for Peter Head, he was ex Cove, his name completely escapes me now. It was Adi Yemo or something like that. Adi Yemo, thank you, that was the one. Uh, he was kind of dallying on the ball in the touchline. I think he thought he had way more time than he had, and Adi Yemo kind of snuck in on him. And I thought, oh no, like, no, oh, it's <laughs> not good. And then he really settled into the game. As you say, I don't think he lost a header all game. That was one thing I think we had a little bit of a concern about when we saw just his statistics and his data. Hashtag we'll talk. There we go. That's the first hashtag data of the season. Love it. Take a drink. <laughs> um, but after that, looked really comfortable. Distribution was good. Started to play some decent passes once he almost found his range. Looked decent and I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. Let's just see what happens when he comes up against a better calibre of, of, of striker as, as we move on. But I thought, generally speaking, the three new boys did did fine tonight. They can be they can be pleased with their work. The elephant in the room, the fucking massive elephant in the room, the man who scored two goals today, Christian Ramirez. What did you think about Ramirez's performance? Uh, you know what? I'm gonna sound like such a broken record. I mean, two goals for your number nine, so I should be just here, like really happy and you know pleased that our our um I guess our main striker that's in the club right now is is off the mark, but. And like, I'm not even going to critique the chances he missed because, like, you know, that's fine. If you're in the right position to to get the chances away, keeper makes a good save, then so be it. And he had a couple of headers that were difficult to either generate power or, you know, get the, get the right placement. But there's still those occasions and you're playing League One defenders and some of his just basic footballing technique is so 
so lacking in in what it needs to be. Um, we know we know what Ramirez is by now. Um, the question is still: Is he committed to the club? I'm still not so sure. I know Jim Goodwin in the post match interview made a pretty big point of Ramirez is under contract. He's not been knocking on Goodwin's door, making out that he wants to leave the club. If that is yeah. in fact the case, and his attitude has been as good as Jim Goodwin has said it has been over preseason, then I guess like everyone like the club, you're kind of thinking, okay, clean slate, let's let's move forward together. We've been told that Boyan Miofsky is a very good number 10, in addition to being a good number nine. Yeah. So there's there's space for them to both play together and still get, you know. Bajau and uh, Matty Kennedy is one that Jim Goodwin clearly likes a lot. So I think we can probably expect him to play regularly. And then you throw in the other options, whether it's the young players or Johnny Hayes, Conor McLennan, et cetera, et cetera. If Ramirez just settles himself down, gets his head down and gets does his work and is there to be on the end of chances and he scores, then everyone will be happy. It's as simple as that. It's just whether that application will... Will we get the application of Christian Ramirez in August, September last season, or will we get the Christian Ramirez of March, April 2022? That's the big question. It's an interesting dilemma, isn't it? It's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, like you say, Goodwin put on a very, very, very positive spin about Ramirez after the game, um, which, let's just put it bluntly, runs contrary to a lot of what you know we've heard in, in the last few months. Um, it could be, as you say, that there's been a bit of a burying the hatchet and it's a case of he's here for 12 more months, he's under contract, we're going to get the best out of him, let's let's go. Who knows? There was a little fist bump when he went off, which I don't think I yeah. saw once last year. So Yeah, so maybe there has been a bit of a renewing of vows, shall we say, between um, the management team and, and Christian Ramirez. I'm still interested to see what happens with... Bojan Miofsky when he actually finally gets his uh, work permit, his visa and all that good stuff all sorted out. And where Goodwin sees Miofsky playing in this system, Goodwin's been pretty explicit. He's going to go 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3. So you're kind of always playing with that number nine, no matter what one of those two systems you work with. Does he decide to go with Ramirez, who, you know, he, he demonstrated it today to an extent. If you give him service and you allow him just to be a penalty box striker, he is going to score goals. I mean, he could have had, like, he could have had five today. The two he scores, the one the keeper makes a good save at um, in the first half, a couple of headers, second half, the flick. He could have had the five or six this afternoon, Christian Ramirez, true to be told. Not criticising, by the way, just for the points out there, but he could, have had, he could have had a lot this afternoon. It does go to show, I think, that if you feed him, you give him service, I think he will score goals in this league. And, a comfortable penalty put away. I don't want to hark on this too much because it's it's a classic ebbism, isn't it, about statistics and miniskirts and all that. But if Ramirez had been on penalties last season, which you would imagine if Ferguson was not on, he'd have been well into, he'd have been pushing 30 goals last season. And Well, that's assuming that Ramirez has the ability to handle the pressure of last-minute penalties. Uh, absolutely. But let's just, yeah, I agreed. I agreed. Um Let's just say even he converts seventy five percent, then he'd been well over twenty five goals last season. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know what the number of penalties from Ferguson scored last year were, but let's say well, let's say twenty plus at least. Anyway. Twenty. Oh, sorry, I, I Ramirez around twenty plus, not twenty plus penalties. He would have been. He would have had twenty five goals at least, I think, last season. 
And then it's a very different conversation with Christian Ramirez because 25 goals in a team like that that's really struggling is is, is not bad going. Especially considering he didn't score a goal from, what, Motherwell in the Cup? Was that his last goal for Aberdeen? He did not score a goal for Jim Goodwin. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, there we go. You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Let's let's keep our eyes peeled on that one. He is clearly our number nine until such, but as Miofsky arrives, and then we'll see where we go from there. I feel we should move on to this now. I, I decided, and I'm going to make this a regular feature um, this year on the podcast, that after full time, we'll run a poll so the solar system can tell us who they thought their top dog was, which we did today. So the four options I put out today, um, which I think was fair, was Ramirez, Liam Scales, Ross McCrory, or Matty Kennedy. I also, I really struggled actually to, to not get Dante Povara in there today. I thought Dante Povara had a, a, a decent enough game at centre center midfield today. Like other games we've talked about that he's played, he looked neat and tidy. And in the role that he is playing for us, nothing's jumping out with you. And that's a good thing. So all credit in the world to Dante Povara. Um, a big vote of confidence in him from the manager that he's playing in this game. And shows that Jim Goodwin, who, you know, with the nature of the Polvara transfer and him coming in under under Stephen Glass and the link up with America, you could kind of imagine that Jim Goodwin might look at it and think, you know what, nah, don't fancy it. Um, too much of a risk, given the yeah. lack of real football experience that he's had up till now. But Jim Goodwin clearly sees something. And you know what? I see something in him too. Agreed. But the winner of the poll on the Twitter... God, I sound like I'm really old doing that. Um, overwhelmingly, Matt Kennedy, 59% of the votes tonight. Gav, your thought? Well, uh, who would have been your top done today? Oh, um, I'm not sure anyone as such stood out. I thought it was just a collective good effort. Probably, I think I'd probably go along with that. I think I'd give it to Matt Kennedy, yeah. Yeah, I'd have gone with Kennedy. So let's talk about Kennedy. Kennedy! Kennedy. Let's talk about Matt Kennedy today, because I, I would have given him top dawn today as well. So I thought he had a very, very, very good performance today, except for his set-piece delivery, which was fucking <laughs> atrocious. But Well, he wasn't the only one, to be fair to him. No, it wasn't. But let's not dwell too much on that. The rest of his performance, I thought, was was good today. And I think you're right earlier on. I think it was well trailed for a while before that Jim Goodwin was trying to sign Matt Kennedy for some minute before. So he likes Matt Kennedy as a player. He strikes me, Kennedy, as being a player that Goodwin will like anyway, just because of his industriousness and willingness, I think, just to get involved and kind of get stuck in. Massive season ahead now for Matty Kennedy. Well, I mean, this is his final year as um, as an Aberdeen contracted player. And if he wants to be here long term, then yeah, he needs to put in a, a big season. It's uh, the same as a few others within the squad. Um, what I'm encouraged about when it comes to Matty Kennedy, because I thought when he came back to the team last season, towards the latter stages, he put in some some decent performances. I'm thinking in particular his um, performance against Dundee United when he got the equalising goal. What I found encouraging about Jim Goodwin's post-match interview was his comments regarding, from the sounds of it, it sounds like Matty Kennedy has just never been really fit for the entire time he's been at Aberdeen and that's probably hindered his performances enormously, especially when you consider he's a player that's all about energy and all about running power and you know getting at fullbacks. So if he's now in a good condition and he's not missing training sessions as it was kind of alluded to and we're not managing his you know his fitness in such a way where you know he can't string a run of games together to get that consistency to get that match sharpness then it all bodes well i mean he's, he's still a very good age he's still got very good pace about him if he's the kind of guy that could be like you know 
a Johnny Hayes where it's just he's just going to run at the fullback all game. He's going to win his share of those battles, and he's, you know, again, he's somewhat inconsistent in his finishing and his crossing, but there is definitely something there. And I mean, like I say, I mean, this year last year was such a disaster. It's a clean slate for everyone, as far as I'm concerned. And Matty Kennedy has done himself, you know, did not do himself a disservice today, and he is definitely. It feels to me like he's won over, maybe not won over, maybe that's overly strong, but he's people who are skeptical of him um, as an Aberdeen player who are maybe looking at it tonight and thinking, you know what? Well done, Matty. So carry that on. Completely agree. I think one of the, it's funny to talk about positives today. Vinny Bajewin had a very, very quiet game today. And he's been a guy who we've been, you know, a lot of people have been hanging a lot of hopes on over the, the, the summer months, the close season about how he'll do. In a way, it's good that we had a relatively comfortable afternoon today and we still created a lot of chances. We were arguably our most creative player in the in, in, in Bajau and had a very, very quiet afternoon. So that bodes well as well to an extent that we're not overly relying on one player to try and you know dig us out of holes, etc. Um, again, it's only uh, League One opposition today in the League Cup. It's early days, but that to me is at least a positive that we're not in that stage where, like, where our one creative player is not firing and we're just really struggling. All I have to say about Vinny Bajauan is that I've been working all week on my sticky toffee pudding recipe. So yeah, he is welcome over for dinner whenever he wants. All good. Let's um let's move on from it there. Then Matt Kennedy topped on today. A professional job at the Balmour. 2-0, the Dons march on, name on the trophy. The week started with the news that Don's youngster Evan Towler was heading out on loan for the season to championship side. Cove Rangers Tyler impressed for Elgin City during his loan there last season. He now makes a step up to the second tier. He went straight into the Cove side who travelled to St Johnston on Saturday afternoon for a pre-season friendly. It did very well, again, by all accounts. So one to watch this season. Now, the other big news of the week came in the form of, say, the other big news. There was two more bits of big news, I guess, actually, more than anything. First up, the announcement that Anthony Stewart had been named as the new Dons captain with Ross McCrory named as his vice-captain. Your thoughts on those decisions, Gav? Yeah, well, I mean, we speculated for, I think, a number of months that Ross McCrory was the almost logical selection to be our captain going forward if we were, in fact, to to make a change from, from Joe Lewis. Um, I support, last week, I supported the idea of change in terms of captaincy. I am a bit surprised that Stewart's the one that's got the nod, just because I think it's quite unusual for a player who's coming from a completely different league into a completely new changing room and to be given that kind of role. Um, I know that people mentioned that Scott Brown became captain last summer, but I think that was kind of a given, yeah, given his experience as at Celtic and you know he was part of the coaching staff as well. You know, Paul Hartley came in under Mark McGee and became captain, but that was a time when we were really desperately lacking in, in leadership through that squad. Um, I think Jim Goodwin mentioned he had, could have given it to three or four people, um, the captaincy. Lewis Ferris probably being one of them, obviously, but Ferguson has since departed, so obviously would take him out of the running. Anthony Stewart is someone who clearly Goodwin, I think, sees a lot of himself in um, and sees those qualities that are required. He obviously has commanded the respect of the dressing room in a very quick space of time. And yeah, maybe just a completely fresh start, um, a fresh approach to captaincy is what we needed and Anthony Stewart has impressed me with the way he's handled himself um, both on the pitch today and off the pitch in his interviews I think he recognizes the honor of being captain at Aberdeen so with that being said yeah I'm happy enough with the change and 
Ross McCrory getting that recognition as well, being vice captain. I'm good with that. I guess, curiously, and um, we talked about this earlier on, little said about the status of Joe Lewis with these moves. Um, couple that with his absence from the starting lineup against Peter Head today. We've already done a bit of speculation about that, but uh, let's see what happens on Wednesday night against Dumbarton. But is Joe Lewis's time at Aberdeen perhaps beginning to come to an end? I've mentioned before that I still think there might be legs in the idea of a swap involving insert ex-Sibirian goalkeeper's name right here yep. with Joe Lewis returning to that part of the world in, in England, closer to where he's from. Uh, maybe see out the last last of his days. Maybe the last of his days. Last of his, last of his footballing days. The end of days. Um, maybe it's just a move from Jim Goodwin where it takes that pressure off of Joe Lewis's shoulders and he can purely concentrate on his goalkeeping. Um, I think Joe Lewis must have two years left on his deal at Aberdeen, I want to say. I think that's right. Yeah. So, you know, there's obviously time there and he's still, you know, a good age. And I thought we've talked about it before Joe Lewis came back onto a game towards the end of last season. Um, I'm I'm very happy with the idea of Joe Lewis and Kilrus being our goalkeepers going into this season. But I do the insert X Sitman goalkeeper's name right here. Story was trailed for so long. I think there's I'd be surprised if we've heard the end of that. And if that were to happen, I think the logical step there is for Joe Lewis to move on. It'll be very interesting. I think Wednesday, ask me, ask me around 10 o'clock on Wednesday. I'll tell you what. I think. Okay. All right. Let's do that. Ilbert Ramadani on his way to Aberdeen as we speak. Uh, he was, he posted on social media, sorry, earlier this evening, Sunday evening, that he was clearly on his way to Edinburgh via Dusseldorf, I think. Travel to Aberdeen. Jim Gooden confirmed in his post-matcher that uh, he'll be here late on Sunday evening. We'll join up with the team on Monday. It's expected to be too early to see him in action on Wednesday, but you never know. We might still treat this as an opportunity to get some time for him within the confines of uh, what should be, we'll come on to it in a minute, a, a comfortable evening. Might just feature on the bench, you know, get him on for the last 15, 20 minutes or so. Yeah, potentially. And the club are still hopeful that Bojan Miofsky will follow within the next seven to ten days, which might mean he doesn't appear in the Premier Sports Cup at all. We'll wait and see, I guess, on that one. I suspect that might still take a little bit longer than the ten days we're hoping for, just given how long the Ramadani ones dragged down. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And I guess that it shows that if we're operating in these markets, then even if we are, as Jim Goodwin referenced, looking at further players, further recruitment, then it's not like the old days. It's They're not just going to be here the next day. It's This is kind of what we're going to have to get used to. Yeah. Jim Goodwin confirmed during the week as well, the story we heard last week that we're absolutely in discussions with three players who are under contract with different clubs at this moment in time. And I guess following this next part of news, we might see some movement on these in the next couple of weeks because the week rounded off with a massive departure. No, not fucking Boris Johnson from 10 Downing Street. The week rounded off with the news that we'd received on Friday afternoon. We had the nod on this one that Lewis Ferguson had said his buys. He'd cleared his stuff at a Cormac Park. And then the evening rolled around and sure enough, all the chat the rumour mill had moved to indicate a deal had been done with Bologna for the Scottish international midfielder with a fee ranging from, depending on who you want to believe, 2.1 million up to 2.1 million pounds, sorry, all the way up to 4 million euros plus add-ons. What is definite is the player's going to sign a five-year deal with the Serie A side. 
Gav, this one's been coming for a while. So just your thoughts on the departure now of Lewis Ferguson. I mean, firstly, I just want to say I'm glad that it's been done this early on in the summer and it hasn't dragged out until the last week. I mean, how many times have we seen players, you know, run down their contracts to the very last day, all the while saying, yeah, I might still sign. Of course I might still sign. Or, you know, Scott McKenna, whoever that leaves. I mean, even Calvin Ramsey. I know that was finished earlier, but that was that felt like it was dragged out for a number of months. Um, I think it's a very good move for Lewis Ferguson. Um, I think he is probably the of like the most recent well, five, six years, a number of players from Scotland have gone to Italy. I think he's the best player leaving the country, going to Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you've seen that. Uh, at Bologna, they're prepared to give young Scottish talent their opportunity in the first team. That's a, a sizable chunk of money and a big commitment in terms of the contract. So they clearly see something. It gives Lewis Ferguson a pathway as Aaron Hickey's um, showing that that can lead to a move to if the English Premier League is where he want to, wants to go or, or further afield. Um, a good change of scenery. I think it's going to improve his game enormously and all I think all you round off with saying is that Lewis Ferguson has been here for four years we took a made an investment in him as a very young man at Hamilton um he came in made that midfield position his own and I don't think he's missed a game that he's been available for in the last four years come up with some big moments some big goals um one of my favorite moments in the last four years has been his um header the winner against Rangers at, in the semi-final at Hamden that was incredible so i think we just wish lewis ferguson the best going forward in his career and i think he's one this is one of these where i think fans who've been perhaps critical of lewis ferguson because predominantly of his surname and who his family are um i think it's one of them that people maybe realize how good he was once he's gone but yeah um four years he's been a very very good Aberdeen player so all the best in italy if that's where he's going yeah, I think it's uh I think it's a move that really suits Lewis Ferguson. I think he'd be probably really suited to Serie A, to be honest. Um, especially if Bologna, as you've said, they've, they've demonstrated with Aaron Hickey that they're willing to give young talent, young Scottish talent, an opportunity that you just need to go and grab. Obviously, he's now earned himself to move to the English Premier League with Brentford, which has also earned hearts in the uh, long run, a decent wedge as well of that selling fee presumably Aberdeen have been able to agree something similar with Bologna from that perspective here that'll mean that Lewis Ferguson departs Aberdeen uh, presuming and I don't think it's a outlandish presumption to make now that he doesn't appear for Aberdeen again that'll be 169 appearances for Ferguson 37 goals amazingly 168 of those are starts he's only had one sub appearance for the club so says everything you need to know I think about Lewis Ferguson where he's been at with Aberdeen I agree I think that We've been very, very good for Lewis Ferguson in terms of his career. He's been very good for us. Um, we've been able to now get this deal done. He clearly wanted to leave last season. It's done now. This was the right window for us to sell as well. Anything beyond this window and where we're going to diminish returns on this. It's the right outcome, I think, for all parties. So wish Lewis Ferguson all the very best in Italy. And let's move on. So... The weekend saw the start of the Premier Sports Cup group stages and the games now continue to come thick and fast. First up is the visit of League Two side Dumbarton to Pataudry on Wednesday evening. The Dumbarton got their campaign off and running with a 2-1 defeat to their fellow League Two outfit, Sterling Albion, on Saturday afternoon in Group A of the Cup. 
Wednesday is going to be our fourth meeting with the Suns in the last nine seasons, Aberdeen winning each of those by a solitary goal to nil on each occasion. Calm Hendry, the hero, and I'm using hero in the loosest possible sense of the word, the last time out. A potential reunion for Aberdeen with Don's alumni and podcast favourite Greg Wilder Waits. And it's fair to say Dumbarton are real dire straits in recent seasons, finishing second bottom of League Two, sorry, of League One last season, being subsequently relegated to League Two following their 5-2 aggregate defeat to Edinburgh City in the playoff semis. And just remember Dumbarton were in the championship just four seasons ago. By my count, 10 new players in the door, 12 out. So very similar to Peter Head from that perspective. Another side undergoing a huge, huge turnover of players. But to find out what we can expect, we caught up with Dumbarton's poet in residence and Nutmeg Magazine's poetry editor. It's Stephen Watt. Stephen Watt, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Thank you. Yeah, very good. A little bit sunburned, but otherwise doing fine, thanks. Stephen, you're Dumbarton's poet in residence, which is yeah. amazing. How did that come about? <laughs> um, <laughs> I wrote to the club in about 2016, so we're talking about six years ago now, and um, basically put forward the suggestion. I'd seen it happen at Selkirk in St. Johnston, and uh, was hoping Dumbarton would um, follow suit, and thankfully they were open to the suggestion, and then... We met for lunch, hospitality, watched the game, and then um, since then, um, kind of been potent residents. Unfortunately, Selkirk's folded, and the St. Johnson potent residence has since left. So um, I think I was by myself for a while, but I now understand that uh, Clyde Bank have a potent residence, and St. Martin uh, actually have one under their charitable trust as well. Cool, good stuff. I mean, it, I'm not going to try and lay the blame at your door for Dumbarton's. <laughs> Recent form, I guess, the last few seasons. They're just coincidences. They're not. Um... <laughs> but um... thanks for putting it so eloquently. <laughs> you're welcome. We we try. We try. Um, listen, obviously, Stephen, you're here. To, I mean, first and foremost, we need to put this out there as well. You're an Aberdeen fan as well as being a Dunbar fan. Am, so yeah. We have yeah. we have two sides of the story, I guess, we can talk about tonight. But we we wanted to talk to you, I guess, first and foremost, just to get a bit of a a feel for where Dumbarton are at. Um, obviously, ahead of tie between the two teams in the Premier... What the fuck's it called again now? The Premier Sports <laughs> Cup. Yeah, the League Cup. Stages, <laughs> um, and also the games are coming thick and fast now. Both of us got up and running um, over the course of the weekend. The Bartman 2-1 defeat to their fellow League 2 outfit, Sterling Albion, on Saturday afternoon. I mean, it's, it's quite a funny one because a, a lot of these times when you when when a, a Premier Division team picks out a lower league side out of the hat again, you're like, okay, it's someone we've not played for a while, but this is like the fourth meeting between the teams in the last nine Eight seasons. Or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And each one of these has been honking games of football, <laughs> settled by a solitary goal to nil on each occasion in Aberdeen's favour. Callum Henry was the one who got the last yeah. uh, the goal last time out for Aberdeen. But I mean, just in, obviously, Dumbarton last season uh, took the drop again through, from League One mm. into League Two via the playoffs. Where are Dumbarton kind of really at at the moment? Just like, what are their kind of aspirations going ahead for the season? Would you say? Yeah, I think that there's been a little bit of scepticism recently. Um, obviously, having been playing in the championship only a couple of seasons ago, and then that's kind of free fall we seem to be in at the moment. Um, it's got a few of the fans alarmed. Um, I think that Stevie Farrell probably has to try and get this right in the, the first couple of months of the season. I think that. Um, there was probably a lot of people calling for his head towards the end of last season and we subsequently obviously got relegated. Um, but he has begun a real rebuild job. He's trying to kind of pull people together. He's brought in a couple of former players um, at Dumbarton, like Martin McNiff, um and David Wilson. 
And he's added um, a, a number of new faces, established players in League One and League Two. So um, I, I think that it's just a really, it's always a transitional period for Dumbarton. Every single summer, um, you've got guys that are on one-year contracts. So it's very much a kind of fresh team you have every year, bar two or three faces. Um, but he did get um, a few players last season on a two-year contract, including like the captain at the time, Stuart Carswell, formerly of Motherwell, and um, Ryan McGeever and such like. So there are a few faces we're familiar with, and hopefully they'll be looking to kind of bounce back and show the fans what they're really about and maybe have that kind of bounce factor a little bit later now now that we've actually been relegated, try and prove that they are better than League Two players. I guess, I think by my count, and this was, I did this yesterday, I think, I think there's 10 players in the door, 12 out the door so far. So it's a huge turnover of players yeah. again. I mean, like everyone looks at Aberdeen this season, like we're 14 out and we've got, I don't know, what are we, six in at the moment? Yeah. Um, and I think that's a huge rebuild. But when you look at those numbers that Dumbarton are doing, you look at what Peter Head, who we played today, they've had an outrageous summer so far in terms of turnover. Yeah. And even um, Darren Young, obviously Sterling Albion manager, we spoke to him last week. He's mm-hmm. guest a show later on. You know, same with Sterling Albion as well. Is this is this going to be a bit of a challenging for Dumbarton now, having dropped to League Two, to to try and I guess build a squad now in terms of you've got a lot of lowland league teams now who are throwing a bit of money mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even the guys at Peterhead were saying that they are finding it difficult sometimes to compete with these guys now in terms of cash. You've got these upstart clubs, I guess, like Cove, Kelty Hearts, who are throwing money around as well. Is it going to become a bit of a challenge for Dumbarton to really start? I guess not competing, but try to get themselves back to the place where they, you know, Dumbarton are historically in Scottish football, a, a relatively well-sized football club, you know? Yeah, uh, I mean, like we were sharing the first Premier title, you know, with Rangers, exactly. so I mean, we've been around a while. I, I think that um, we've not got any kind of delusions of grandeur. Um, at the end of the day, we're wanting to try and kind of build that community again and try and get the fans back. I, I'm not saying the fans are kind of turned against us or anything like that at all. I just think that, there's this kind of pull to try and pull everybody in the, the same direction and there's a lot of work getting done behind the scenes by the club to get supporters, get young fans on board. The young fans were in for free last season, you know, it's, um, there's a small kind of fee this season. Um, they've got community clubs and all that in the um, middle of the week and such like. So all these kind of little kind of things all build towards community and then the actual standard of the play that you have to leave that down to manager and players. But it's interesting kind of like hear you saying, talking about like Darren Young, Sterling Albion, like the other clubs, like I'm sure a lot of other teams are also periods of transition and bringing in new players. So you, you can make that excuse for Dumbarton, but yeah, I suppose a lot of other clubs are going through the, the kind of the same mill as well. Um, and I, I suppose like more than anything, it's a little bit of kind of blind faith and hope that uh, things will work out in your favour. But as I said, I think that the players that we've been signing have kind of like proven themselves in kind of lower league in Scotland and um, before, and we would kind of hope that that would continue with season 22-23. It's going to be hyper-competitive in league too, because oh, there's, yeah. not, uh, there's not that runaway, you know, like last year, Kelty, you were kind of like, when, even though they just come up, you were kind of like, with the, the cash. Yeah, they had Connor. Around. Yeah, <laughs> of course they were coming up. <laughs> Absolutely, only for six months, but still, you know, they, yeah. they, uh, what was he nicknamed again when he was at Brecon? Was it the, the, the Angus... Iniesta, I think. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, wow. But, you know, it was kind of obvious almost like with the cash they were throwing around with the players they were attracting, you're like, they're going to be up there, there, thereabouts. The season before, you'd have had, or the season before that would have been like Cove, for example. This year, I'm just looking through the teams who are in League Two this year, and it's like Albion Overs, Anne Athletic, you know, Dumbarton, uh, Bonnie Rogue just promoted. 
Yeah. Fife, Elgin City for first Dennis Muir Sterling Albion Strong. There's not like a team in there who's gonna run away with this from a financial perspective, you look at. So it's gonna be a really fascinating league, I think. I think that obviously we've just been treated to the delights of Dick Campbell like this season with our broth. And yeah. again, that kind of collective effort again with the, the team, the club, the community again. Um, it's amazing. It can really work wonders if you get that spirit. And it's just it's just interesting because to see the Aberdeen result, obviously, um, against Peterhead and like the the response from some of the fans at like half time, you could you could almost feel that turn again. And you're like you're yeah. you're halfway into your your first game of the season, you know. So there is a degree of patience that does has to be required, but I think that's maybe what Stevie Farrell doesn't have on his side, mm. which is why we have to hit the ground running early on. Um, and obviously the first league seat, first league game of the season is the 30th of July, 20 days away. So um, we want to kind of get that right. And I think that these um, Premier Cup ties obviously give you that opportunity to get a feel for your team. We're never going to win the League Cup, but at least you can give a good account of how this team is going to knit together. Yeah, do you think that's well, obviously you guys open against Sterling Albion, hilarious. Yeah. So you played them yesterday, obviously the opening game in the group stages. You play them again on the 30th of July. Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess, I mean, this is we spoke to Darren about this, we spoke to the guys at the Blue Tune podcast last week about this for, for Peter Head's perspective. Dumbarton presumably are just really looking at these group stage games as being a, a quasi pre season and yeah, pre season friendlies yeah. in, a, in, a, in a way. Obviously, they want to get they want to be competitive, want to try and do as well as they can, but there's no aspirations beyond just getting some minutes and legs really this are I think that is fair I think that is fair to say for Dumbarton's sake um, you always want to give a good account of yourself and I think we have done against Aberdeen mm-hmm. like in the games that you've aforementioned but um, I think like you're just saying it's given players that opportunity to really kind of get the minutes in the legs and put in a performance that the fans can get excited about for the season ahead um, and as I said you're doing that in the month of July before we even hit August, we'll have played Sterling Albion twice in competitive action. It's um, surreal. Nobody wants to have done that, do they? Let's be nah, honest. not really. It's not <laughs> happening. Um, <laughs> so, what do you think? What, what do you think approach will be there on Wednesday night? I mean, it's a bit of a hit. It's a free hit in a way, isn't it? Do they yeah, come up here yeah. and just have a go? sit and try to get the draw and get a point what's what do you think their approach will be I, th- I think certainly the games between Aberdeen and Dumbarton Dumbarton have kind of like sat in um, soaked up the pressure Aberdeen have kind of missed the creative edge on each of these games and there's been one or two in- uh, incidents where Dumbarton have nearly nicked it um, certainly the game down in Dumbarton I remember Ryan McGeever having a fantastic mm-hmm. opportunity um, there was a very I can't remember if Paul Sheeran had taken over from McInnes or if McInnes was in charge then um, but you know Dumbarton could have really kind of struck uh, then and there was there was a few opportunities in that game um, and then obviously Calvin Ramsey um, really kind of showed what he was made off in his debut that day um, but the games with Tawdry I mean I've been up at um, two of those three matches um, over the last eight, nine years um, in the Dumbarton end, I should add. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, there, there was there was few and far between opportunities for Dumbarton. But um, again, like the fact that Aberdeen are in a period of transition as well and the players are getting to know each other, um, you know, it might be an opportunity for the Suns to actually try and uh, nab something out of it. I mean, I don't know, are, are draws still permitted in these kind of league tables now? Does it have to be decided on the day? You, you can draw, but it then goes to penalty shootout straight it after. Does, but, right. but you get a you get a point for the draw, and if you yeah. win on the pens, you get an extra point. Um, so you know it's it's a bit of an odd one. I mean, it is those as you go well. A point is still a point, isn't it? At the end of the day, and yeah. take. I mean, the, that last Aberdeen Dumbarton game, Petardry was a Scottish Cup, was a truly truly honking game of it football, was. as I recall. 
Um, not because of anything Dunbar did, in fairness. Dunbar did exactly what you'd expect <laughs> them to do. Came well organized, because Jim Duffy was in charge at the time, I think. Yeah. Came in well organized, as you'd expect a Jim Duffy side to be. Aberdeen were just. And then Sam had his jumble in the box. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. we were. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, uh, hold my hands up. We were in the murky that night. That day. It, was <laughs> the first, it was the first day of the red shed experiment, wasn't it? I think that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's right. right. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think I've started to sober up at that point. <laughs> back, and I've got no idea what happened. It looked like a dive from where I was at the time. I've never. I don't think I've even watched it back. Cause I couldn't bear <laughs> to watch the highlights of that game back again. Um, yeah. But they've been all all tight occasions. Who should who who do you reckon would be the danger men then for from Aberdeen to look out for? Well, strangely, he was on the bench um, against Stirling Albion at the weekend. But Callum Wilson is kind of the one that uh, Dumbarton fans are a bit excited about. A little bit hot headed because he's still only nineteen years old. Um, but he has got two good feet and kind of got one one to watch out for. Um, I think that I would have liked to have seen Ali Love like playing, but again, he wasn't in the, the team yesterday. I don't know if it's uh, sort of Saturday. I don't know if it's going to be an injury or if it's just a case of waiting until we get into league action or what the case is with him. Um, I think that Stuart Carswell is like kind of represented himself very well at Dumbarton. He, he does kind of control the midfield um, very well. He's a very tidy player, a very composed player. And whilst he maybe doesn't kind of chip in with as many goals as perhaps you would like to, he, he does seem to be able to pick out the passes that you you need to really kind of hurt teams with. So, yeah, we've, we've got a couple of boys that may be able to kind of like do something. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd hate to kind of go out in this uh, podcast and then think that it's a 5-0 drubbing or something. So, um, but yeah, we, we shall see. Now, Stephen, part of the charm of fan-led media podcasts is <laughs> pettiness and no one can accuse us of not going down that route last season when we dedicated a 30-minute segment to the career of Greg Wilde, who of course is, I believe, has been retained by Dumbarton. So, yes. so if I may, let's just uh, let's put the jingle in here. It's the talk of the nation, it's the Greg Wilde conversation. How's Greg done at Dumbarton? <laughs> Greg, on his debut, scored a wonder goal against East Fife. He pinged it with his left foot and it smacked him off the post and we thought, we have a player. <laughs> um, and then I think he scored in the last game of the season. Um, I, I don't want to say he's been anonymous. I think at the end of the day, the, the team were not looking in good shape towards the end of the season and we probably deserved to go down in the end. Um, but in flashes... Greg has shown that he's he's got a very very clever left peg, and um, I think it's just we just again the consistency need to see this a little bit more, um, and especially when we are down and out, you need those players with a wee bit more kind of like skill up their their sleeve to actually bring it to the fore, and um, yeah, Mister Wild is kind of maybe found wanting a little bit at this moment. <laughs> Do we expect him to be on the the team sheet come Wednesday? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I started I, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, I'd expect Greg to be playing. Um, the other thing is the, the squad number three, if I remember correctly, I've seen Greg playing left mid or left wing for Edom Barton. Um, I don't know if they're intending on using him as a left back or not, but um, yeah, I think if he's if he's still got the legs to kind of get down the touchline, it would be nice to kind of see him um, bring something to, to the match at Pataudry. Friend of the show, Andy McNeil, he was at that 
Dumbarton East Fife match of Greg Wells debut. Um, I think it was just one of these that Aberdeen weren't playing or whatever that weekend. So he happened to be there. And I remember him just tweeting out like Greg Wells has just scored an absolute fucking worldie. And he's just like, can't believe it. Amazing <laughs> stuff. I enjoy getting to do these shows. I also feel we need to do an extension here, Gav, to the Greg Wells conversation segment. What about you? We can do that. Yep. I think we should do it. I think we should do well, we've got Stephen on the line. I think we should do it. So the whole premise of the Greg Wells conversation was framed around the idea that Greg, when he left Aberdeen, suggested that the reason it hadn't worked out for him at Aberdeen was because he was an ex-Rangers player. Okay. <laughs> and we just wanted to debunk this myth. And for anyone that hasn't listened to it, um, we would encourage you to go back and listen to it because we thought it was fucking funny as bits. Now, whether <laughs> anyone else did or not, doesn't tell it's them. But we contacted representatives, fans, from every single one of Greg's other football clubs. Okay. Just, just to find out how he got on there and whether they held it against him that he used to be a Rangers player or not. So, Stephen Watt, on, on, on behalf of the Dumbarton support, and I don't want to make you sound as though you're speaking on behalf of the whole Dumbarton <laughs> do you think that Greg Weld gets a fair shake of the stick at Dumbarton from the fans, despite the fact he is an ex-Rangers player? Do you think that even crosses anyone's minds? Uh, uh, well, I mean, we're in the central belt. It'll <laughs> to have crossed some people's minds, I'm sure. But, um, no, I don't really... I don't really think so. I think there's a kind of thing with Dumbarton. It's just the, the, the old firm kind of like background, whatever. It does, it's not a Celtic club. It's not a Rangers club. It's a Dumbarton club. Um, and I, I know about obviously kind of Aberdeen's association with players going to Rangers or ex-Rangers players and such like, but I don't think that's the case at Dumbarton. Um, and I would certainly hope not as well. I think at the end of the day, we just need to have like the, the best players that we can possibly have on that pitch. And... Um, right now, Greg Wilde's uh, one of them. Um, Kyle Hutton was another a few uh, seasons back. So, um, and we've had boys from from Celtic as well. But I mean, there's there's not been any anything come from the stand to suggest that there's 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 any kind of opposition to him being on the field for having done the blue shirt. I I heard a rumor that Paul Payton was pretty staunch as well. No <laughs> <laughs> uh, stodgy, I think. No stodgy. <laughs> <laughs> It's a pity that Paul Payton never played for Aberdeen. There was a whole other segment just the way to start there. But <laughs> I feel that's good. I feel it's good. We, we, we debunked that myth, just that one, another club at a time. It's all good. <laughs> I love that segment because like we contacted everyone. He played for a few teams in England and like all their fans were like happy to do it. But they also like, why are you doing, why, why are you doing this? Whereas all the Scottish like supporters were like, this is quite funny. It's really petty, <laughs> but this is really funny. I remember Liam from Livingston, the Almond View podcast. Yeah. Telling us his like, most standout moment of Greg Weld's career was coming on as a sub, 3 0 down at home to Rangers, and he came on and he applauded the Rangers support. Oh no! Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> uh, never heard that before. Um, doesn't doesn't change my opinion of him one bit. <laughs> um, I love it. I love yeah. it. It'll be interesting to see if he gets any stick on Wednesday night. But um, yeah, you know what it's like. It's always the same with Aberdeen, though, for former players coming back and scoring against you. You know, so. Um, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Callum Hendry and Stevie May usually being the, the two. Absolutely, <laughs> I, I imagine that he'll be met by ambivalence by the vast majority of people in Petodre, except for Gav and myself. <laughs> except for Gav, and um, Gav myself would be giving it full ton to Graham would have been as well if he was going to be there. But that'll be about it. Listen, um, Stephen, we've taken up loads of your time already. Let's just finish. Let's wrap things up here. Prediction for Wednesday evening. Um, I think honestly, because we're we're still very kind of early days, I think it'll probably be three 0 to Aberdeen. Um, but I would like to see them Barton give a good account for themselves and maybe steal something from the match. But we shall see. Excellent, Stephen. What 
Poetry in Residence at Dumbarton Football Club. Thank you for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast. Stand free. Pleasure. Thanks, gents. Cheers. And then next Tuesday, the Dons make the trip to Sterling to face off against Darren Young's Sterling Albion. Young taking over at the fourth bank from former teammate Kevin Rukovic in December 2021. Eventually, the Beano's finishing up in seventh spot in League Two. And there's much more to come on Sterling Albion after the break as we discuss the game and a whole lot more with the aforementioned Darren Young. And as we mentioned earlier, Sterling opened up their league campaign with a 2-1 win over the Barton on Saturday. Mason Hancock spent the second half of the campaign on loan with Sterling last season, and he did well. And he is one of eight players to have left Sterling Albion since last season with only three in the door at the time of recording, although they were, unlike Dumbarton, able to field a full 11 and a full bench. So, Gav, after having looked at Dumbarton, speaking with Stephen, and you've already heard the Darren Young interview because you've had to edit it, obviously, your prediction for these two games? Well, I mean, let's deal with Dumbarton, first of all. Let's go uh, chronological. Um, it sounds like, from what Stephen's saying, they're in a, a better position in terms of their overhaul of the squad in comparison to, say, Peterhead. I mean, I don't know if like, being in the central belt helps with that or, or whatever, but sounds like they're, you know, they've got a good number of players in through the door. But obviously, you know, they're a team that have suffered in recent years it's kind of just been free fall since they got into the championship and that relegation to Edinburgh say kind of went out without a you know without even a whimper you'd yeah. like to think a league two a newly league two team up tawdry I don't even know how much contact time a part-time team gets in pre-season never mind you know gelling an entire group of players together you've got to believe that we're going to take that game to them and show our superior quality. So if you want a prediction... Let's get a prediction, come on. If you want a prediction, I think we're going to... I think we're going to keep another clean sheet. I imagine DeMarne are going to come up here and just try and contain and make the game difficult. But I think we're going to get an early goal. And I think we're going to win this game 4-0. Excellent. Love it. Um, Sterling Albion next week. Sterling Albion, yeah. So that's what next Tuesday, isn't it? Next Tuesday. Next yeah. Tuesday. Um, oh God, wish I wish I could go. No, never been to Sterling Albion. Unfortunately, can't make the journey. Can't uh, can't justify that um, midweek on a school night. All the credit in the world to those that have the the priority points to to do so. I think it'll be the same again as Peterhead. I think they'll you know try and what's the situation with Sterling Albion? Do they have a they have an artificial surface or what no, we no, grass, 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 pure grass, old school. I like it. I think they'll set up once more to make things difficult for us. But I'm, I'm feeling remarkably positive about our season right now. Uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just that first, that new game, first that win. First sip of the Kool Aid, Gav. It's yeah, first sip of the it's it's a dangerous thing to consume. Do you remember BK Hecken last year? <laughs> oh yes, I do. Um, but Wraith yeah. but Wraith Rovers is to come. So we can uh, yeah. enjoy this while it lasts. Um, I think that'll be more difficult. Um, I'm hopeful by that point we'll have Ramadani in. You know, we don't know where we're looking in terms of these new, these three players that we're uh, in talks with, with their clubs. Presumably we have an idea of who maybe two of them are. <coughs> Connor Ronan, <coughs> Jamie McGrath. So I would hope that we can maybe get some more bodies 
in the door to help us through. But I think we'll still have enough to to get the win that night. And if you want a prediction for that one, a little bit harder, but I'm going to go again, 1-0. Lovely stuff. I'm going to go the same. I think um, I fancy us to really give um, Dumbarton a bit of a doing, actually, on Wednesday night. So I'm going to say Aberdeen 5, Dumbarton 0. Um, five on goals by Greg Wilde, please. And I reckon probably similar to Peter Head today, I think maybe 2-0 um, at the fourth bank next Tuesday against Darren Young's Sterling Albion. And so... On that note, that wraps up the first half of this week's show. Join us after the break for our aforementioned interview with former Dons captain and Sterling Albion manager, Darren Young. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Before we move on to our interview with Darren Young, again, as always, we just want to give a shout out to those of you who've made a contribution to the Old Beer and Coffee Fund. We see you. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffee, head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ Football Podcast. The link is in the description. Shout us a beer or coffee. It is very much appreciated. Appreciated by us and appreciated by the good people at Beer 52 in my case. Oh, nice. Nice. Good plug, Gav. Well done. If they want to throw us a sponsorship, you know where to contact us. Yeah, absolutely. Again, before we move on, we, we touched on this last week, but we should do it again. Wrapping up our fundraising activities for the season ahead. For those of you who haven't seen, firstly, the three of us are going to commit to run, cycling, crawling, walking, whatever. The 2,261 kilometres that represents the distance between Aberdeen and Gothenburg by the length of May 2023 to mark the 40th anniversary of that famous night in the Swedish city where the Dons hammered Real Madrid. If you'd like to make a donation, which will see funds split 50-50 between Aberdeen Necessities and the AFC Heritage Trust, head over to justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash ABZ football podcast. How are you getting on, Gav? You know what? I think I started this challenge like a day after you guys, so I'm already mm. in a little bit of a, a pickle there. But um, I think by my calculations, I've 61 and a half kilometers in, which roughly translates to being 38 miles. So I'm well on my way to Dundee. You're doing all right. You're doing all right. Graham's not updated his now for a few days, so I don't know where he's at. I mean, I've got to make reference of his third day effort where he's logged in point point 11, 11 is... which I figure is some kind of tribute to J. Emmanuel Thomas. Speaking of J. Manu Thomas, I noticed he was being trailed as a celebrity guest for some basketball tournament coming up soon. So it's working out well for Jet. Uh, also being linked with a move to India. I am not surprised. Uh, I'm I'm doing well here. 128 kilometers in the door, mainly backed by the fact that I got out for a 37 and a half kilometer bike ride on Friday, which was pretty nice. Um, pretty toasty at the same time so banked a few banked a few k's in there which was all good again if you'd like to donate to this particular um nonsense that we're doing it's justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash abz football podcast but we've also got another one of our famous prize raffles up and running this time two great prizes available first prize hospitality for four people in the Teddy Scott Lounge for a game during the 2022-23 season of your choosing, obviously subject to availability. 
That prize is worth the guts of 520 quid in its own right. Second prize is a signed AFC shirt from the 22-23 campaign, signed by our new squad. And again, if you want Bojan Miofsky's signature on that one, you might want to wait until the end of August before you're redeemed out that voucher. If you'd like to enter that raffle, each entry is £10. Send us an email on abzfootballpodcast at gmail.com to enter. And now, without any further ado, it's time for a man who made his first team debut for Aberdeen in August 1996, having come through the Aberdeen youth system before going on to make 159 appearances in red. He's now the man in the dugout at the Fourth Bank Stadium. He will line up against Aberdeen next Tuesday evening. It is Darren Young. Darren Young, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Yeah, all good. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Hey, listen, the pleasure is is all ours. Let's just get started, I guess, at the beginning. Born in Glasgow, October 1978. Football, was that always your sport of choice? And who would have been the team you supported when you were growing up? Um, yeah, football really from the from the start. I was, I think we were me and my brother were either four and five, five and six. I think four or five or five and six. We first started playing with Catherine United, so just kind of local team. All the boys from school and all that were going, and then that was us kind of from there. You were kind of hooked, but you were, you were already hooked. You were already you were playing it every single day. Um, my dad was a Rangers fan. He had a season ticket, so I kind of supported Rangers growing up. Um, but to be fair, um, I'd always tell this week, you know joke thing it's we've probably been Derek have probably played more times on Ibrox than we've actually went to go and watch a match but again that's just through, through playing football all the time yeah. and, and that side of things it's again obviously I've been going and joined Aberdeen then again we just again we still always look Derek still lives kind of up in Aberdeen Newton Hill area and we still always look out for the results and stuff so it's it's kind of where everything started and happened for us as, as young kids and um to now and you can just touch on it a minute ago, uh, you attended Catholic High School, which also boasts a number of other Don's connections in the form. Well, obviously, younger brother Derek, clearly. Yep. But also Kenny McLean uh, was a, a pupil at Catholic as well, who later obviously moved to Aberdeen from St. Minutes. So just talk to us a little bit, Darren, just about your your youth career and how you eventually became spotted by Aberdeen and brought into the, the Don's youth setup. It was, as you say, we started off, it was probably when we were about 10 and 11 year old, um, and we got asked a lot to go and train with Aberdeen, we were playing with, I think it was Captain United at the time, and a funny story, that the, the scout was actually watching some other kids he'd been recommended, and then he spoke to the manager at the side of the park and, and says, who's that boy there in the midfield, and says, blah, 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 who's the boy up front, that's his brother, so just kind of from that day, the two were playing the same team at the same time. And that kind of got the kind of interested. We would go on a Monday night. To, is it, I think it first of all started in Hel- Helenville, and then it changed. It was over at Strathclyde Park. So every Monday we were over at Strathclyde Park training, um, and it was I think it was Gregory Abel used to take us every now and then. The Drew Jarvie would prop in, but no, it was it was brilliant, and it was our kind of first taste and experience of that. And then as even a year or so down the line, Rangers started to become interested. Uh, Hearts were interested as well, but. I think obviously from that age, you would think the difference with Aberdeen and uh, these other teams, they would always take you up to like, the school holidays. So it was like mm. Easter holidays up to Aberdeen for a week, staying Great Western Road. All the boys would get picked up in the morning, Drew Jarvie, you pick you up in the minibus and then you'd go in the minibus and you put Audrey, you'd be sitting changing with the reserve guys, the first team guys are floating about, walking about. So it was an unbelievable experience to be able to go and do that. <clears throat> then summer holidays were the same, up for a week, and then the October break. So I think with that, 
kind of drew as close to the Aberdeen and yeah. that kind of affinity for it. And the fact that I mean, at the time I'm looking is Ian Jess or Scott Booth or Stevie Wright, all these guys coming through and then getting closer to my age was obviously kind of Stevie Glass and, and guys like that. So it was <clears throat> it always appealed to me. They were a team that they were giving young boys a chance. They had a great reputation for it. Going to be obviously way back to Alex Ferguson days and coming all the way through from then. And it's, it's just something that you're looking around and op- options to maybe go to, to Rangers or Hearts, etc. But these teams are kind of, maybe especially Rangers or Celtic at the time, they're spending big money and getting these type of players in. And I just felt that I had a, a better chance to kind of break through. If I did well, then I'd get the opportunity. And, and it did. And it kind of worked out like that for, for the kind of two of us. And luckily, I managed to kind of make a breakthrough pretty early. Yeah, it's funny because we spoke to, um, <clears throat> I guess he would have been a teammate of yours at Dunfermline, um, Barry Nicholson. Yep. spoke to Barry just a couple of weeks ago and obviously Barry went through the road of, of doing his youth career at Rangers and you know he was yeah. just so obviously Barry's a <clears throat> a died no Rangers fan as well but I think even talking with him at the time you could get that sense that maybe he regretted a little bit that that being his youth career because it just meant when he got to that first team level just trying to get games was yeah basically impossible for him which is why he ended up obviously going to Dunfermline you just touched on there um Drew Jarvie, who would you have said would have been like your biggest influences from a coaching perspective when you were coming through the youth setup at, at Aberdeen? It's slightly different because nowadays you've got your pro youth. When we trained, like, you know, way back to like 10, 11 year old, now you've got, I don't know what the teams go down here. I think it's like maybe 9s, 10s, 11s, 12s, etc., yeah. all the way up. We were we had maybe 14, 15 players, and that ranged from a couple 10, 11 year olds, uh, 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds who were just about to sign to go full time. So it was a very, very split. They kind of, you know, I believe kind of cherry picked the, the kind of ones that they wanted or the kind of the better ones, or the ones that they felt were better at that point in time. Um, and again, <clears throat> they kind of worked out well for us. But I think obviously when Gregor at the start, um, when we did come full time, it was kind of Drew and, and Neil Cooper. Um, and, and again, Neil Cooper was great. He's <laughs> looking back now, it was it's black and white, like <laughs> compared to now, you the guys need a wee cuddle, they need a wee arm around them. Back then, it was, you were told, in no uncertain terms. <laughs> but that was it. It was like, right, if and this or if and that, and get it done, get your finger out. And there was no hiding place you had to, you had to go up in. And there was some guys in the youth team, yeah, I could, you can see that, 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 that probably couldn't handle it. Um, and when they got that, they kind of went into their shell. But I think from somebody like myself and from where I came from, it was like, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you, I'm going to, um, I think whether that was a young boy in the youth team playing reserves or whatever, there was just always that wee bit that no matter what I did, whether it was training or running, whether it was the running, I wanted to be lasting the longest. I was never the quickest, so I knew I was never winning a sprint, but I wanted to last the longest. And I, through my whole career, I was always kind of top two and three when it came to fitness side of things. I always kept myself right. I was always a fit guy getting up and down the park. <clears throat> and then when you do, when you did get there, when you're 16, 17, and you're training with the youth team, it was like, can I score the most goals today? Can I win the most tackles? Again, can I get in the box the most times? Can I get back and win the ball back? And it was just something, I think it was just ingrained in me as a young boy. It was kind of, um, you wanted to be the best at everything you did, even at school when you were doing your, your sports day and you're doing your long jump, you're doing high jumps, you're doing sprints, whatever it may be. I just, it was always in me to, to want to do the best and be the best. Uh, if I came off and I've gave the ball away, whether you're playing with your mates or whether you're doing whatever, then it was it was always just for me. It was just always in my my head. I wanted to, to be the best and beat everybody. Always played in the set of the park. 
Yeah, always, always settlement. Um, I think when I first started off, and that was like pff, under nines or tens or something, I was um, I played kind of left wing, um, and I think that was just because I could kick it with my left, <laughs> and, the, and the, the other boys kidney. You signed pro terms with Aberdeen on the 16th of September 1995. It doesn't take long until you're actually knocking on the door of the first team, uh, appearing as a sub in a number of kind of pre-season games ahead of the 96-97 campaign. You come off the bench in Brian Grant's testimonial against Everton. Before then, you're handed a first start by uh, Roy Aitken, who was manager at the time, ahead of the Premier Division fixture at home to Hearts. First of all, what was your relationship like with Roy? And then when did you find out you were going to get that first start? I can't really remember when he, when, he, when he spoke about it. Usually the, the team in the squad would go up on the, on the board on the Friday. And you'd obviously have a man in the squad, I'm in the squad. And then from there, he usually just kind of named the team like an hour and a half before it. So I, th- I think it was just kind of then. I, I can't really remember if, if he told me or that. Um, so I don't remember being kind of like nervous or anything like that. But, um, but no, it was... It worked out really well. There was a lot of midfielders at the time that were just kind of leaving or, or, or kind of getting to the, the end of their career, should we say, or getting on in a bit. And there was like there was Granny, there was Peter Hellison, there was Paul Kane, there was Ray McKinnon. So I was thinking for a minute that I'm going to get the opportunity, and then within about a month, probably three of these guys had all disappeared and left and went elsewhere. And then we went in pre-season, and then they get the opportunity, played a few games there. In Europe as well at the time, travelled to Europe and then come back and I managed to kind of get in the team. I think the first game was come on as a sub against Queen's Park and then the first start was probably that Saturday. I think it was against Hearts in the league and we beat them four 0 And I remember having a shot and it was it looked like it was going in, but it hit off Billy Dodgy's arse and he kept <laughs> it out. So there's no way I was going in once it hit him. It's big enough, isn't it? To be fair, yeah. But you know that was the first kind of. First time when I was seventeen at the time, so it was that was unbelievable experience, and and again I, I just it just felt like for me it just felt like a natural progression because I've gone through from playing boys club and then you get your schools and then you get like your Glasgow schools and then called up to Aberdeen, you're in the youth team, the reserves, um, juniors as well with Crombie Sports at the time, and then that next season was kind of jumped straight into the kind of first team, so it was it was. As silly as it might sound, it just kind of felt natural that I was continuing to improve, I was continuing to progress. And I remember as well, I mean, I was only a skinny wee guy and decided a fiver, to be honest. But again, I felt I was strong, I was aggressive. Um, and again, it was never the finish article that time. But I know that fitness wise, I was I was there with everybody else. And when I did any fitness tests, etc., that was always up there. So I knew that I could go and last a game, I can get stuck in. And then it was from there, it was just kind of working on your maybe your composure and your passing and stuff. I guess it's one of those, isn't it? You probably, you know, you're only 17 at that point when you make the debut. So it's, you know, full of the, I guess, the arrogance of youth, shall we say, where it all just seems like it's all natural progressions, water for ducks back. But yeah. Clearly would have been a, a proud moment for you and your family to to get that first, first yeah. team start for the Dons. It was amazing. And then obviously when Europe was happening as well, and I managed to score, we yeah. played Barry Town and I managed to score against them. In the, in the cup which again I mean a, a year before you're, you're, you're just just left school uh, you're, you're dreaming of, of playing in the league you're dreaming of playing Scottish Cup finals and you're dreaming of playing in Europe and then this a year later you're actually going you're playing in Europe you're scoring I remember we, we played Bromby away and there was a couple of guys we, not Bromby away at the time it was the, it was Barry Town away so we'd obviously won the first leg 3-1 then we went away I remember horrendous weather an absolute downpour but 
mum and dad, like they've done my whole career and Derek's career, they travelled, so they, they're away down to the game, soaked, and, and again, it was, it was a great experience for them, and when we scored one of the goals, I just remember running to the fans, and there's two of the guys that used to go to school with him there in the crowd, and I was like, you had the wee crash barrier behind the goal, and it was just like, just just one of those feelings, I, was, I don't think you can really put any words, it's, you need to kind of be there, and it's, it's yeah. just kind of like when scoring a goal, I mean, I know, for strikers, not when they score the goal, it's like, oh, I scored another goal. But for me, any time I scored a goal, I was just, we had just lost the plot. And it's like a couple of silly celebrations. But even when I got older, still, it doesn't matter if it was a tapping or that, I was, I was absolutely buzzing to score a goal. And to do that at the time, and then you, you've scored the goal, to take you back into the leader, whatever it was in Europe. Then your mum and dad's there. Then you're your mates with schools in the stand, and you're running over, and you can just see them. You're like, wow. Um, and you're running over you're like wow is this really happening um, but it was look, it was unbelievable um, it was a great experience and, and again everything else off the back and I think a couple of weeks later um, before my 18th birthday I then get called up for I then get called up for the Scotland under 21s mm-hmm. and again I was 17 just turned 18 at the time and then I got I, get, I remember I got young player of the month as well so it was it was just kind of like one thing after another I'm like wow this is this is kind of too good to be true. This is easy. This <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was like. It was it was unbelievable. Everything just was like bang, bang, bang. You, you make your debut. You're playing in Europe. You're scored in Europe. You get called up for Scotland twenty one. You're young player of the month. Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it there. I mean, it's a real whirlwind start to your career in a way. There's that debut against Hearts. Obviously, Aberdeen win that one four 0 Then, as you touch on. Barry Town in the UEFA Cup, Bromby as well, home and away in the UEFA Cup. You get your first goal, obviously, against the Welsh side in the UEFA Cup there. The season, in a way, kind of does fizzle out after what was quite a positive start for Aberdeen. We end up finishing sixth that season, but for you, it's a real breakthrough campaign. Uh, you eventually rack up 34 appearances in total, still just 17 at the time, 29 starts, a couple of goals in there as well. This is a dressing room that's got some pretty big personalities in it, still though as well. You've got the likes of Billy Dodds, you've got yeah. Dean Windass, Duncan Shearer. There's still some cult figures in the form of Antoine Kumbuari, the Bulgarian duo of Ilya and Kiryakov and Sanko Svetinov. What was that dress room like for you just going in there as a, as a young 17-year-old to begin with? It was. Um, I'd been training a couple of weeks with the first team and then they get the call to say, look, you're moving up to the first team. And I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. So I kind of knew most of the guys. Derek Stilley, the goalie, was there as well. So I was quite really, really friendly with him and I would kind of go to him for advice, and he, he was he was great because he was a, a few years older than me. But because he was kind of from down that way, and we were just to travel up, coming up in the training and stuff. But um, but no, it was great because you've gone from being a I was quite quiet, I would say shy, um, and I would just kind of get on with stuff. I would never ever be too I wouldn't say outward and open. I didn't lie. I would just kind of get on with it. I wanted to be a footballer. I was I never really drank. I was just kind of went and wanted to play football. That was it in twenty four seven. Uh, with the changing room when you're picking up the kit and stuff you're getting whacked with the socks off the back of the head and even things like that but when I'd end up getting in the first team you know, looking three four years down the line the, the, the change in the young boys coming through they were kind of walking about with a swagger as if ah, what's happening big man whereas when we were young boys we were like head down want to get in there quickly get the kit away and if somebody spoke to you like, oh hi kind of thing um, but that, that soon changed when, you, when we got in there and again they, they accepted me and uh, again, most of the guys were there were very helpful. I used to room with Duncan Shearer, so he was great as well. Um, and there wasn't any, I wouldn't say there was any bad eggs, um, to be honest. A couple of different personalities. Um, Dean Windass, obviously not the shyest. So 
Um, he got, he got a couple of, not quite fisticuffs but a few a few altercations should we say at training and stuff with a few of the guys so uh, but that was Dean again he was a kind of folk hero or cult hero should we say and, yeah. um, again he did well he scored goals he went back down south he did well um, and again he was, he's a nice guy absolutely apart from obviously like Derek still you touched on and room with Duncan Shearer was there any other the kind of guys in that squad that kind of took you under the wing a little bit Oh, Stevie Glass. The, my mum and dad used to go to a lot of the games with Stevie Glass's mum and dad. Got mm. to the point where they would maybe come down on a Friday night if it was like a Rangers Celtic game, a Kelly game, Motherwell, whatever it may be. They would come down and stay with my mum and that on a Friday night at Glasgow. And then other times, sometimes they would come up on the Friday, stay with Stevie's mum and dad and Dundee and got and that. So they would still talk and stuff. Um, and again, it's, I think obviously David Drowson was coming through at the time, big Russell Anderson. Um, and then obviously a few years down the line there's quite a lot of young boys that kind of started to break in as well Now we, we ask this of everybody who shared a dressing with this man but you've got to have a story or two for us about Elaine Kiriakov Kiriakov <laughs> <laughs> A story well uh, <coughs> Right well we were playing <laughs> we're playing okay, I can talk about it now it's years ago mm-hmm. we're playing Dungeon United and it was a um, New Year's game and again, only 17, 18 at the time and in my bed and we're playing the New Year's Day game and there was a party going downstairs. We're staying in the Hilton and I remember at the time I'm at, I was sharing with Brian Urban. So I'd changed because Big Brian was off to his bed and he was all proper and I wanted to stay up for the bells. But the rest of the young boys, they went to a room and Kiriakov comes along with a massive bottle of champagne. And I don't know whether he, what he's done, where he's got it from, but Kiriakov had a bottle of champagne and he was enjoying himself, should we say. And I'm like, ah, is this for real? Is, that, is this like a real bottle of champagne? Is he just... <laughs> he's like, I thought I was like, oh, maybe just, he's having a wee swag and saying Happy New Year. But he'd done that. And I remember the next day, I think it was Nicky Walker and goals and we get battered 4-0. Um, but that was just... <laughs> so he's still, I can probably tell now because it's... Uh, years and years ago, but I just I was just kind of like, geez, oh, don't get me wrong, I don't think he was the worst player in the park the next day, but it was just something that I was like, is this really happening here? Is this guy sitting drinking champagne when we've got a game against United the next day? <laughs> it's fair to say Ilian's reputation probably goes before him a lot now um, <laughs> around the city as well. Everybody's got a wee a wee story about seeing Ilian and maybe in um, slightly worse condition than you'd expect. Uh, in the in the lead up to kickoff, and then suddenly finding him actually on the pitch that afternoon was quite a surprise for a lot of people. But there, <laughs> there we go. Going into that following season, though, for you, Darren, you must have just been then looking to really kind of consolidate your position in the first team and and hopefully kick on individually and on a on a team level as well. Yeah, yeah. But I ended up obviously started the injuries, and I was honestly from from I started playing football all the way through, I was never injured. And whether it was too much for my body or whatever, um, I, I just I couldn't, I couldn't get going. Um, I ended up having a knee operation. I can't remember if that was the next season. I'm sure it was. Um, I had a knee operation and it ended up kind of keeping me out for about, about a year, year and a half. It was kind of on and off and I couldn't get rid of it. And there was times when, to be honest, you're sitting in tears just thinking, am I finished? Is my career over here? Um, I kind of get to the bottom of it. I had one operation and it was about a cartilage. And I still kept getting nicks and I still kept feeling the things. Um, then I had a, a two clean-out operations on it as well, which, again, you're just sitting there, I'm 18, 19 now, and is this, am I going to get back playing? Am I going to get to the level I was at? And there was, there was times you're sitting in the digs yourself and it's, it's a lonely place and boys will tell you when you're injured, it's the worst thing ever for, for a, 
but a professional because it's you can't do anything. There's talk of people, oh, managers in the past, and that. I've, I've heard guy, oh, I, he's happy enough just to sit and pick up his money, but there's not many guys that I can honestly hand in heart say that I know any player who's happy to just kind of basically piss about. Um, most guys, they want to be out there, they want to be playing. Yeah, some guys look lazier than others, some guys are more technically better than others, some guys are fitter than others. So they've all got their own parts to play and their own skills and their own skill sets, but... From my point of view, uh, it, was, it was very, very hard. And it's, I don't know, I, mean, I, I think it obviously helped my brother on that. Was there, and she, she had the digs with the guys as well. But it's hard when you go in in the morning, you're in going on the bus, and you get into training, and then it was there away, you're in the gym, or you're doing stuff for the physio. Then on the way back, they've come back in, you've got maybe a double session because you're with the physio again in the afternoon. You're trying to get yourself back. They're away, out, whatever it is, going to play pool or away to amusements or PlayStation or whatever it was at that time. And then you're coming back after it. And it's, it is a lonely place and it's a lonely yeah. time. You just you try to get yourself through. And I think with having your brother there and having your other guys in the digs make, makes a big difference. <clears throat> um, and then just gradually get better and manage to get, and get myself back to fitness. Aye, as it is, that season's a real kind of catastrophe. Roy Aitken's time in charge comes to an end after a 5-0. Thumping it, Dundee United. You come off the bench at half time for David Rowson um, in that one. The team are th- <laughs> the team are three goals down at that point. Down to ten men after Dean Windass had collected his set of red cards as well that game. What is it like coming off the bench in a game like that in that situation where it's just like, what do we do here? You just go and give your all. To be honest, it's it's a I've done that myself with guys, and it's a thankless it's a thankless ask of the sub because. You're you're down to ten men. You're three 0 down, and it's you're going to go and score a hat trick. <laughs> it's like you, you go on. There's maybe a wee bit of damage limitation, but at the same time, it's, it's fresh legs. To can we go and nick the next goal? And it's it's been done in the past. And I've had teams where we're down to ten men, we're one 0 down, and we come back and we've we've drawn or we've actually won the game. Um, but at the same time, you're you're still you're you're, you're just going on with that mindset of you know what, I need to go and do as best I can here. I want to try and work as hard as I can because I want to be starting. I want to get back into that team. Um, and that's all for me. That's That was my mindset. Just go and work as hard as you can, win the ball back, pass it, get forward, support, and then just work out, work as hard as you can back the park to defend. We just touched on it there. Obviously, this is Roy Aitken's last game in charge of Aberdeen. I mean, for you, was there like some real disappointment about Roy losing his job given that he's the guy who, you know, obviously gave you... Sorry, gave you your debut, showed you that faith to put in the starting lineup and everything. Yeah, I mean, you're obviously gutted to be fair because obviously the guy's helped you and he showed faith in you, trust in you, he's gave you a new deal. So, isn't it isn't a nice thing to, to kind of happen? But I mean, it's all kind of too familiar. Everybody knows it's a result driven business. If if you're not getting the results, then yeah, more often than not, you, you end up getting bumped. Alex Miller's the guy who surprisingly is, is is picked to take the job it's fair to say um, you come off the bench I think in his first match in charge a 1-1 draw at home with St Johnston and then I think this is where we touched on the other one the kind of injuries really started to, to hit for you but what was your kind of like what was your initial impressions of Alex Miller when he came in? Um, he's very laid back I thought um, I thought he was very laid back um, and obviously he had uh, Paul Higgy in there as well uh, I really liked Higgy he got on quite well with Higgy Um and again, I thought that the training that was decent as well. But again, it never really kind of happened um, for for Alec. And then after that, I know that obviously Paul came in and took over for, for the end of the season. Was asked to kind of go in and make sure we obviously we finished off comfortably, which we did. And then I felt very harshly he was kind of 
it was bumped to be honest as I remember at the time thinking oh Higgy will definitely get a job but then he never got it which I thought was very harsh because he kind of consolidated the, the team and the, and the players at that point I was just going to say I mean I think a lot of people were really surprised at that point that Paul Hegarty didn't get the job long term because I think from the time I mean I think Alan Miller gets sacked it's November, December time, I think, of the season. Uh, Paul Hegarty's oh, in charge till season end. So you kind of, you know, normally these things work out. It's usually boy gets binned, yeah. a new manager gets brought in within a couple of weeks max, or whoever takes it to the end of the season, as long as they do a decent job, are going to get it at the end of the yeah. season. I think it was a lot of people very surprised. But as it is, as it is, the Aberdeen board looked to the continent for the first ever time in terms of putting a manager. It's Eb Schofield, who's the guy who comes to the door. Um, just your initial thoughts on Eb when he came in. Um, he's a, he was a character, <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, he came with a reputation, and I know he had. I mean, I think he had a lot of young boys at Bromby at the time, and they kind of came through. Um, and I think as he was coming in, there was a lot of young boys coming through at Aberdeen as well. Um, again, going from the back, you're talking over the next season or two. You had Ryan Essen, you had Jamie McCarthy get brought in. You had Phil McGuire, obviously Big Russell was there. Um, Kevin McNaughton midfield was kind of obviously myself was coming through Chris Clark Derek was coming through Darren Mackey um, Scottish guys had Derek White in the back as well which was great and Robbie Winters had joined as well so it was he started to kind of get that a big core of, of young Scottish guys Michael Hart as well sorry so there was a lot of guys there that had came through the youth side and the, a lot of guys who had Played since they were like under 15, 16s upwards, to be honest. 16s, uh, sorry, when they're 16, 17, 18 in the, in the youth team, and then at the reserves, and then that same coming out in the first team. So there was a lot of guys there. Um, and again, he came in and he had a few things, ideas of his own, which, um, which <laughs> you're thinking, geez, oh, this is, this is a bit, <laughs> bit OTT, but. Um, but no, he, when he was in, I think at the time I, I was when I kind of had all my injuries, and because I remember when I came back in, I felt that the last, I think maybe the last six weeks of the season, and I was, I'm like, I'm back training, I'm, I'm back feeling fit, I'm back looking, busting, ready to go, and then the club get to the the two cup finals as well, which again was, was a bit, yeah, was a bit, no well, good for the club, but frustrating because you want to be involved in these type of things. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, you're, you're out of action for nearly a year, I think it ends up being here. I think you play yeah. in a 3-1 defeat Ibrox in April 99, which is towards the back end of Paul Hegarty's time in charge. And then you don't appear again for the first team until it's the fourth round of Scottish Cup replay against Emirates Cali Thistle the, the following season. You touched on it earlier on just about the injury thing, but I hadn't, we hadn't really discussed it at the time. Were you at that point not just worried, obviously, about your, your own injury, etc., but with the new management team coming in as well and not getting a chance to get out there to impress them, were you kind of worried a little bit about, you know, your actual future potential with the club at that point? No, oh, I was never ever worried about my future at the club. I was just always worried about my career more than anything else. So it wasn't like, I just wanted to get myself back fit. So whether it was playing for Aberdeen or whether it was having to leave or whatever, I was just, I was more worried. I was always confident in my ability that if I got myself back fit, then I would play. Um, and again, it's just to kind of, again, you've got to have that as a player, you've got to believe in yourself or there's no point in playing. But from my point of view, no, the, the worry was more, can I still be a football player? Mm-hmm. More than, will I get a, get a chance or a shot with Aberdeen? So first and foremost was get back fit. Second of all, get back training. Thirdly, get back to playing games. And then obviously fourth, you're then, then kicking on, you're fitter, you're sharper, and, um, and you're getting back into the team. 
and you kind of touched on it. It means obviously because of the injuries that season, you missed out on both the cup finals that season. Yeah. Um, how big, how disappointing was that for you just on that level? I mean, maybe the League Cup's not so bad because you were already injured at that point, but you'd kind of come back into the, yeah. the setup of the Scottish Cup final. Right? You're, you're frustrated because of, you're delighted for the team, you're delighted for the players, but just that wee bit inside, you're like, God, I wish it was me. I'm not going to get a chance. And, Speak to so many people, you're like, God, is it obviously regards to, to that? Will you get a chance to play in a cup final? And I always remember when I was going in at 17, 18, Jesse and Dunks here and that, ah, make sure you make the most of it. He goes, Before you know it, you'll be like, Dunk at the time, you're like my age, and it'll bypass you, and it goes so quick. And at the time, you're a young, naive boy, you're thinking, Ah, yeah, I got a heart, and then all of a sudden, you're like, What happened? <laughs> I'm a player manager now. <laughs> Absolutely. Into that following season, though, things are obviously much improved for Aberdeen, a personal level for you. It's back fit, back in the team, 37 appearances in the first team, 36 as start. So clearly, Ebby liked what he saw from you when you, were, when you were fit and able to perform. The season does start a bit inauspiciously, though. There's a defeat in the UEFA Cup to Bohemians, which is a real low point. I think you played both legs in that one. The damage is done in the, in the home leg yep. of Tawdry. What do you happen? That night, just is that just one of these you just have to put down as just one of those nights, just nothing goes right. Um, I think, um, I think Big Mark Perry had a good part to play in it. Well, <laughs> 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 a joke with him, we played a, a, a Queen's game, <laughs> that was a, a charity game the other week. We we're talking about that, the charity game, with, with a couple of the boys, the Bohemians game. So, I think, um, I'm sure it was, it, it might have scored an OG and then gave away a penalty. I could be wrong, but we end up drawing two each at the home leg and then. We drew one each away, and it was actually Kevin Rukovic who scored the goal away from home. Um, great strike. But the, the home game, we were more than comfortable. I remember the game. You had a lot of possession. We just kind of couldn't break them down, and then right at the end, they get the two goals, which is a bit of a killer, because obviously away goals counted in those days. And then yeah. the game away from home, uh, was, I think we were slightly better. I could be wrong, but I think we were slightly better. But again, we couldn't take our chances, and then um, and we end up drawing one each. The rest of the season, though, does show a lot of improvement. We eventually finish up in seventh spot, <clears throat> which is a, a, a big improvement where we were the season before. And there's some real promising signs in terms of players coming through the youth ranks. Guys, you just touched on a minute ago, Darren, you know, like Kev McNaughton, Chris Clark, uh, Darren Mackey, Ryan Essen, Phil McGuire all make the breakthrough in the first team that season. Alongside the likes of yourself, Derek Young, who've almost become like experienced first team players at this point, even though you're probably still only what would you be, 20, 21. 21, something of that ilk. So, you know, Russell yeah. Addis is in there as well. Uh, indeed, you're, you're given the captain's armband for the first time during that season. You step in when Derek White's injured for a home game against St Mirren. When did the manager tell you he was going to give you the armband and was that a bit of a surprise to you or were you kind of maybe expecting it? I can't remember. I think I think maybe Gardner Spears had told me because he was the assistant at the time and he just kind of said, um, again, it's, it was sound daft but it just again felt like a natural progression so again I've been captain of my boys clubs captain of the school team captain of the youth team captain of the reserve games and then again it's just a again for me it was just you don't, don't realise at the time because obviously the next season he actually gives us the actual captaincy but you don't, you don't think it that t- at that time point in time it's a, it's a big deal but Looking back now, you're like, wow, 20, 21, 22 year olds, you're the captain in Aberdeen. Massive, massive um, faith shown in me. Um, from that side of things, it was probably wasn't as much as a, a shirt and a baller. It was more kind of, I'd always encourage the players, always encourage the guys, even if they make mistakes. And um, again, probably 
just kind of the way I played, just aggressive, tackling, winning balls back, kind of a captain that type, type of way rather than being an actual shooter and ball and, and, and giving guys stick or whatever. But but no, it was, again, it was it was great to, to have that and great to be the, the captain for when, when he passed on his. And again, it's something that you look back on maybe pride because of a massive club and, and to be able to say you're the captain, one of the kind of biggest clubs in Scottish football was part of your career. Was, it was great. Yeah, it's a it's a small band of players who've who've done that, and um, I think I'm I'm think I'm right in thinking it. Pataudry, they've got like a granite piece somewhere in the stadium, which have got all the guys who've captained the club yeah. inscribed on it. You know, so you're in there, you know, forevermore yeah. on that side of things. That 2001 2002 season's undoubtedly the best under Ebbs stewardship. Yeah. Um, notable for that run of wins at home, which culminated in the two 0 win over Celtic <laughs> at Pataudry. <laughs> Goals from Robbie Winters, Darren Mackey sees us over the line eventually. Presumably that's a, an enjoyable one to be involved in. And were you involved in the conga? I can't remember. Yep, I was. Yeah. Obviously Eugene started it and then I yeah. think Derek was next to him and then next minute Bisconti was down and before you know it, there's about seven or eight of us. <laughs> I remember it. It was, it was either, was it, was it the 26th, the 27th, was it Boxing Day? I'm not sure it was Boxing Day, it was, but it was close. It was December time, yeah. 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 So I remember it being December time and I remember all the boys been out after it and it was, I'm sure Derek White also got sent off in the game. Well, down to 10 men, I could be wrong. He did, yeah, um, yeah. And then Dan Mahi goes and scores a breakaway, big grab, has a nightmare, and tries to dribble out and then does, nicks it and it's 2-0. But, um, oh no, it was, it was one of the nights that, I mean, you go and look at that Celtic team, jeez, that was, I mean, that was a Celtic team that, that played in the Europa, the UEFA Cup final um, against, against Porto and again, you've gone toe-to-toe and I think it showed that I mean, it was a full house at Pataudry. I remember the Celtic players were going to take corners, they scudded with snowballs and stuff. Uh, but no, it was it was it was brilliant. It was it was a great experience, and to have twenty thousand fans there, just absolutely. And people, and a lot of fans, they talk about you raise your game against Rangers and Celtic and etc. And it's it's a bit of everything because. The fans raise their game as well and, and yeah. respect, respect it. They then become louder. They then become more vocal. And it's the same for players on the pitch. It's, it's one of those things. It just it just happens naturally. There's not really a... You don't go out and say, I'm not going to try. But because you've got all that, the adrenaline's going and everything else, it's that wee bit, <laughs> just that wee bit extra. And it comes from that, playing yeah. these these type of games. So, uh, But no, it was, it, was, it was a great night. It was a great experience. And... Um, it's, the, the conga topped off, and and obviously at the end, with uh, it was I think it was in the papers leading up to it talking about it would actually equaled Alex Ferguson's record of nine home wins in a row or something. So, uh, but that was great. Absolutely, definitely. It meant we ended up going basically head to head with uh, Livingston, who were newly promoted at the time in in a battle for third place that season and a return to European football. It's a nil nil draw with Livingston at Almondvale that I distinctly recall uh, saw a certain D Young sent off after 34 minutes a couple of bookings in that one what can you remember about that? Oh, I remember the the second one I remember the first one I kind of took one for the team I gave him the ball away it was a counter attack and I just took the guy out um, and then the second one it was Fernandez, and me we got ball in the halfway line and Fernandez cut inside me he cut inside Russell and then he went down like a sack of toys and he basically got his seat off. And again, I'm, I'm standing, I think it was Kenny, Kenny thing, I think, Kenny, can't remember his name, Kenny anyway, and then he's like, no, damn, it's off, you're off, and I'm like, 
you're kidding me on. It's like he's dived. I says, I accept the first one. I says, I'm not even, he's in between me and Russell and he's fell over. I goes, he's on the halfway line. He goes, where's the yellow card there? It's not been a straight leg. I've not shown my studs. I've not been aggressive. And he goes, no, no, off you go. And that was it. Sent off. And I remember I felt so bad and so guilty at the time, but the guys managed to, to still scrape a 0 draw. Absolutely. Uh, see out that 0 draw largely in part thanks to a wonderful stop by Peter Kier from yeah. a David Fernandez effort. Peter Kier, when he came in, he he really did a good job, I think, at coming in, just helping just settle everything down and steady things yeah. a bit at the back, didn't he? Yeah, no, he was great. He was Again, he was very good with me as well. He helped me as well a couple of times and he was talking about, because I would he explain, he says, you run about crazy. He goes, you, you run about all over the park. You hear the air everywhere. He goes, try to stay central, try to, yeah, it was actually it was actually quite good. Um, he goes, you're trying to do everyone's job. He goes, the ball goes to the right, and you go to the right. He goes, it goes to the left, you're on the left. He goes, and so just I remember just wee things that stuck in your mind at the time because as much as I was captain at the time, I was still only 21, 22, and yeah, you're still kind of learning the game. And you've, by this point, we've probably had about four or five different managers, <laughs> so you're you're kind of you're obviously picking up bits and bobs. And, and no, uh, it was good. He, he was a nice guy as well. Uh, family orientated and, and again, very down to earth and, and very helpful yeah a great character as well we had him on the show a few months ago now he was brilliant brilliant value for the, for the little bit we got to spend with him um, that season we eventually finished fourth but we do get a return to European football due to the Scottish Cup final being contested by Rangers and Celtic um, that 2002-2003 campaign the next one's a bit of a nightmare in a number of different ways the high point is probably the UEFA Cup tie with Hertha Berlin I think where we put on a couple of yeah. great displays at home and away. The Germans yeah. eventually coming through uh, a late winner in the second leg in Germany. As I recall, yourself and Roberto Bisconti put in a hell of a performance in the first leg, especially. What were your memories of playing alongside uh, Bisconti, first of all? Brilliant. Uh, for whatever reason, we just clicked. So me and Roberto were really, again, he came to AC Milan as well. He played the AC Milan as a young boy and... Um, and uh, no, he was great he was crazy he used to say the same to me as well about <clears throat> Peter Kian he's like he goes Darren he says because we when we were watching him and training and it's like he would always have a day off and I'm like what is he doing see if he had a day off or even the other boys were the same if you had a day off you felt lazy you felt sluggish you felt like oh no he's just, just every day he goes bang 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 goes you, you crash into tackles you, you're you crazy he goes you're, you're um, you just do the same in, in a game that you do in training. He goes, in Italy, it is different. He goes, you've got to be calm, chill. He goes, have a massage. <laughs> so he's seen all these things and I'm like, he's a big lazy so-and-so. But see, come a Saturday, he produced and that was, we were more than happy with him to have his day off and that. And it's only now that, again, they're probably ahead of us with sports science and all that back in the days, but it's only now you can kind of look back and think, God, maybe... We wouldn't have picked up so many injuries or so many things. Again, going back to like having your GPS vest, etc., etc., with the amount of work you put in, the amount of effort you put in. Because um, for me, it was just like every single day, I just wanted, I went and battered my body because it was the best job in the world, running about playing football and getting paid for it. So for me, I just came out every single day and literally would see if I missed a training session. I know my brother and that, and guys like Chris Clark and Mick Hart, they all felt the same. Like if you missed a session, you're like, Oh no, it played in your mind going into a Saturday because <clears throat> whereas now when I was obviously near the end of my career, like, I was like myself as well, just kind of caught and <laughs> caught and wrapped myself, caught and real, making sure, right, I've trained on the Tuesday if you're part-time, 
Thursday you maybe just done a wee bit with the physios to make sure you're okay and come Saturday you're good to go and that was I don't know it's just these wee things maybe have helped you because I had a lot of problems with my calves when I was starting to get about 30, 31, 32 type of thing and again there was a stage where, where I was like oh no I'm going to have to end up calling it quits here before I went from kind of full time to part time That second leg in Germany just just how how gutting was that one for, for the whole team? I remember at the time we were getting absolutely battered and it was <laughs> we defended so well there was a great chance we had two good chances it might have been Derek at the back post and I remember on the first leg as well I put Derek in and I remember I think it was De Jaffo maybe or Eugene Daddy I can't remember one of them had a great chance in the first leg as well we never took it but our second leg we only had a couple of chances we defended really well then they get the guys sent off yeah. which I think is brilliant but then Eric Delmo goes and gets himself sent off which kind of killed it again um, but I know they were a good team they were a very good team um, and again I remember that <laughs> it was a long throw and I think it was a, a back flick header and it went right over Ryan Essen right into the top corner you're like oh, 94th minute or 93rd minute or something injury time so ah, I came out, oh, gutted but it was a learning experience because I, mean, I don't think many people gave us a hope but to go out 1-0 with a 90 odd minute goal was, was a sickener but we can be kind of proud of how well we played Yeah I think as well people forget back then the, the kind of cash that Hertha were throwing around on players um, yeah. they signed that Brazilian lad whose name now completely has escaped me they signed him that summer for like I can't remember it was like 15 17 yeah. million or something like that they, they were a very very handy side that um, I think I just started to sober up at the point that they score I think in the ground that day <laughs> which was disappointing it was um, it was a hell of a trip one that a lot of Aberdeen fans of kind of my age will hold oh, very, very Neil Simpson as well Neil Simpson in, was in the Europa <laughs> yes in the, in the Europa bar yes absolutely um, I've got there is a picture of myself and Simi outside the Olympic Stadium looking the two of us looking worse for wear let's put it that way That's one thing I have to ask about actually that day as well in the Olympic Stadium those flamethrower things what the fuck was that all about? <laughs> yeah they, they were absolutely scorching to be honest you I know, know we were like, Jesus Christ, because it was the start of the game, I think, when they were doing the announcing the teams and coming out and doing handshakes and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, Jeez, oh, can you feel that? <laughs> we were the same. We're standing in the crowd. So I think we'd got like non-alcoholic beer thinking it was like, you know, the real <laughs> stuff. Standing there. And then all of a sudden these things go up and you're like, Jesus, what the fuck? I wasn't expecting that, yeah. you know? like, no. unbe- And they kept, I remember they kept on throwing them up at corners and stuff. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Absolute nonsense. Anyway. That was one of the, Stadiums that was used in the World Cup as well, wasn't it? That's right. Well, they were redeveloping it, weren't they, for yeah. the World Cup at the point? So it was like half a building site on half the stand. It was ah, it was crazy. Great trip, though. Absolutely fantastic trip. Yeah. When it was on it. It felt to me, though, and it still feels this day that we never really recovered from that defeat in Berlin in terms mm-hmm. of Ebb's kind of time with Aberdeen. And yeah. Within a matter of weeks, we there's a two-one defeated Park Thistle. Ebb announces he's going to leave at the end of the season. He might go sooner if somebody could be found, uh, there's a one home defeat to Kilmarnock in the 3rd of December, which is the point at which then I think Ebb just goes, no, it, it's time to go now. What was the reaction then to like Ebb's departure like in the dressing room? Because he had given so many of the young boys in that dressing room their kind of breakthrough. I think, I don't know, he was, he was, he'd always had his own way. I think some of his training at times, uh, one of the things I always say is he always, he was one of the guys that, a way back, he'd started to try and play this 4 3 3, 4 1 2 3, yeah. or 4 2 1 3 thing, 4 2 3 1, sorry. And it just wasn't kind of 
kind of happening. And then I remember because at the start of that season, he probably went about five or was it five or was it season before, I can't remember, but five or six games. And we couldn't win. And we're like, so end up speaking to Gardner and saying, Look, Gardner, we need to change to 4 4 2 here. He goes, Just go and play. And I remember the first game we played it, we go and win 4 2 or 3 1 at home in Motherwell. I remember Ian Jess scored a belter, come right out for the corner to the edge of the box, yeah. and he, he smashed it in. I think Ben Thornley scored that day as well. I could be wrong. But I remember we'd, every now and then you go back to it. So we'd go on a good run, five games, maybe three, four wins, a couple of draws, or, and then you get defeated. And you'd be like, right, we're back to this. And like, oh, Jesus, we're back to this formation again. And whether it was a, a I don't know, naivety or we, we just, we'd never, we'd never ever came across that. And, and obviously, he's maybe we used to playing that week in, week out. Over there, we'd never ever kind of played that for us. It was always kind of like a four-four-two, and that was it. Going work hard, and or maybe one striker maybe drops off, or whatever it may be. But for whatever reason, we just kind of take it. I just couldn't think it. Um, maybe again, I know now they've got an analysis and all that kind of stuff. If we'd maybe done it, done a wee bit more of that kind of thing, and just kind of said, right, this is the reason you're doing it. This is why we want you to do that for this reason, and it's we just kind of. We just it just never really worked for us. But he was again ahead of his time, I would say, in regards to that, because now it's a kind of norm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, definitely. Steve Patterson, Duncan Shearer are the guys that come in. Obviously, you a, a former roommate of Duncan Shearer. How did it yeah. feel for Dunk to be coming in now in the kind of more managerial role? Oh, Dunk was great. He's always joking. He's always laughing. Stevie, obviously, as well. He came in and he done well with, with Inverness. So. Yeah, I mean, he got his opportunity, and again, I don't, I don't really think it works, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's probably the, the politest way maybe to put it. Um, unfortunately for you, though, kind of injuries hit again for you, so you miss a lot of that 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 first half season, I guess, that, that yeah. Steve and Duncan Shearer are there. We end up finishing in eighth place, and then your last appearance for Aberdeen comes in a, a 2-1 win at Amundville before it's announced in the summer that both yourself and Derek are going to leave to join up with Jimmy Caldwell's, uh, yeah. well, let's call it buoyant Dunfermline and Athletic at that point in time. They were starting to fly but at this point. Just talk to us about the situation that, that played out there in terms of your departure from Aberdeen, because I'm pretty sure I either read it somewhere or I heard it somewhere before that obviously yourself and Derek weren't necessarily looking to leave, but it was more a case that the terms that were put in front of you to renew just meant it was not going to happen. Yeah, there was, there was a few, there was, there was a few situations or a few, I mean, the, the first one, obviously, with the contract situation, it was, I mean, it was a, the, I think at the time, I, don't know, I can't remember if it was Dundee and Motherwell or Hamilton or somebody, there was about three or four teams that, that get, went to kind of, not bankrupt, but obviously whatever yeah. it was, liquidation, bankrupt type of thing. So that had happened and the bank started calling in all the debts. So the contract offer for myself was about, including your, your base, your, your basically your basic pay and your, your appearance money was about a 60% wage cut, <clears throat> to which... Again, I was the captain at the time and I don't think I deserved that. Yeah, maybe the club was in that position. But at the same time, I'm like, well, no, I can't really accept that. Um, especially when I know similarly what other guys are getting. Um, so that 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 was it. Um, probably because the two of us, Dunfermline were interested, spoke to them. And I think the thing with Dunfermline is that they finished above us. That was the third season in a row they finished above us. Um, I'm sitting there saying, on paper, they've got a better squad than us. Uh, you've got your, your Barry Nicholson, you've got Scott Thompson, Stevie Crawford, you've got uh, boy Gary Mason in the middle of the park, yeah, Brewster up the top with Stevie Crawford. At the back, you've got Scott Wilson, Derek Stilley was in goal. So I'm looking man for man saying that 
as much as I know that Aberdeen are a bigger club than Dunfermline, um, that Dunfermline have finished above us two or three times. The money was was better as well, and then one of the things my dad wasn't well, he was, he wasn't great with the cancer type of thing. So, so there was there was kind of two or three different things there that, that kind of played in the mix by coming back home. We were closer to my, my dad, we were closer to my family, um, and again, you were getting a, a three-year deal on a lot more money than what Aberdeen were offering. So you just kind of felt well, as much as we were. Didn't want to leave. I mean, I'd have loved to have, <laughs> I'd love to have kind of stayed there and, and played out my career. I was still only 23, I think, at the time, 22, 23. I was turning 23. Um, but again, I felt it was it was kind of too good a kind of opportunity to go to Dunfermline, who were kind of flying high. And I think that next season kind of proved that point where um, Aberdeen finished, I think they finished 11th possibly, and yeah. being Dunfermline finished fourth. We, we nearly um, we got into Europe. We got into the Scottish Cup final. Um, it was their highest ever league finish in in the Premier League. So I think from that point of view, as much as we got a bit of abuse for the Aberdeen fans, we're kind of proven correct. But um, dad had a year and a half left to live. So there was all these kind of things that were thrown into the mix. And as much as we would love to stay at Aberdeen, maybe it was just one of those things that fate would have it that we would then get to go back close to our, our family and my dad. For those that kind of final few years, um, so it's, it's, it's a, a, a mixed emotions to be honest. Yeah, I was just gonna say it ends up meaning you made 159 appearances in total for Aberdeen, uh, scored five goals in the process, and you've kind of just touched on it there. I mean, I guess was there maybe just a, a bit of a tinge of disappointment for you about just how your time at Aberdeen came to an end in the sense of just, I guess in that scenario, as you say, your your, your club captain being offered a, uh, a wage cut to that extent, it's not, you know, it's not the right way for someone who's come through the ranks to to necessarily have to leave, you know? I, I, I try to, I try to negotiate and say, well, I'm happy to accept X, Y, Z, this is, but to, for the, to ask me to come and go and do that when, I know, I know it's got nothing, you don't, obviously at the time you're a young boy, you're comparing yourself to other people, you know mostly what guys are on and you're saying, I'm, I'm going to be on, half of what this guy's on I think I'm a better player than this guy type of thing yeah they've got the contract you're the one that's out of contract so and again whether it is maybe he didn't fancy me as a player maybe that's why he wanted to he offered me so little or whatever but I know at the time the talk was obviously because of the banks and I know that the budget and that was getting cut so yeah. there's a wee bit of that and I know another annoying thing was there was a, a part in the contract you play so many games then your wages go up so I don't think I kicked the ball for the last two months of the season purely on the basis that had I played one more game they would have had to put my wages up and then they would have had to pay me the, the six, eight weeks through the summer um, so there was no coincidence that well, not no coincidence but that I never ever got back on the field to play and it's just to, to kind of go that way and I'll be honest in my last day there obviously speaking to Teddy Scott and everything loved the guy he was he was amazing um, Teddy was brilliant Teddy was like kind of a second dad for me and my brother um, especially when you're up there as a young boy and then I remember in the car park, I was just in tears, just I'm like, God, this is it, last day. As much as I was looking forward to and excited to go to Dunfermline, I've been to Aberdeen since I was 10 years old, and now I'm now 23, um, and you're moving on, and it's, you've kind of been, <laughs> just been in that kind of, kind of rollercoaster ride, but being in that ride from a wee boy to then growing up and being a teenager to then becoming a man and blah, 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 and having gone through the whole kind of youth setup, the youth system, to go out your juniors, to come back in, to be in the, the youth team, to be in the reserves, to be in the first team, to be captain, 
uh, to play in Europe, to get called up for Scotland 21s, and all these kind of things. You know, it's just you've done that with Aberdeen and you've scored your first goals and just a load, a load of memories that uh, I would have liked to have probably continued. But um, that, that's life and it is what it is and where we are where we are now. Absolutely. And hey, you touched on it a minute ago. I mean, your spell at Dunfermline's a really successful one. Um, you know, you're part of the side that gets the Scottish Cup final in your first season there. Uh, you also helped them at fourth place in the league that season. Then during your period of time at Dunfermline as well, Dunfermline made it to a League Cup final and another Scottish Cup final as well. During that period, Derek obviously came back to Aberdeen. Um, was there any chance that you might have come back north as well or was that just something that just wasn't going to happen? Uh, it was not, wasn't asked. <laughs> 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 it was never asked. So if I had the opportunity, I probably would. I think, I think that... When the, the time with Derek, Derek was the two was at the time, and then obviously Jimmy was back to he went back to there. Derek was at Partick for a season, um, and again Jimmy obviously went back and took him back to Aberdeen. And, and again, there was a lot of people not too happy with with him. Um, got picked, or Jimmy going for Derek, but I think Derek went back and he shut quite a few people up. And I just always remember the game against the Fed Comer. I did watching him on the telly and thinking, God. What a performance himself and all the boys put in. There was a wee bit where he went down the wing and he's he's shuffled in between two players. He's done a wee bit of skill and delivered the ball. And I remember thinking, bro, you know, I was like, oh, he's your, his brother. And I'm like, oh, that's, bro, that's amazing. You just get the goosebumps and uh, the back of the neck and stuff. You're like, I can't see. He'd done very, very well when he back up there. And again, he probably shot a few people up and it, it was great to go and see him do that. And again, he's, he's still up there. He's taking the under 15s and 16s with the now with the the youth side of things and he does the performance skills up there as well so his family settled there they've kind of they've, been, they've grown up there and they've been up there probably oh, I don't know how many years now to be honest <laughs> um, so it's but no it was great for him to kind of do that and, and for my own side of things going to Dunfermline it was five years I was there five great years and it was we got the four cup finals we got the two Scottish cup finals we got the league cup final we got to when we got relegated in that last season we got to the, the challenge cup final as well so there's not many players that managed to kind of get to four cup finals in five years. Got to Europe twice as well, and then obviously the club's highest ever finish. So I was really proud of all my achievements of being at Dunfermline and, and how well the team played. And and again, I, I probably played some of my best years there as well. After leaving Dunfermline, you have spells at Dundee, Queen of South, Morton, and Aloha before eventually becoming player manager at Albion Rovers leading them to promotion to League One in your first season as manager before then making the move to East Fife at the, uh, sorry, ahead of the 2017-18 season. Was management and coaching something that you always kind of had your eye on, Darren, when you were playing? Probably not so much when I was playing, apart from playing football manager and stuff, but um, <laughs> it was something that as you get later on in your career and then the, the other managers start talking about that and you're getting to that age. So I started to kind of do that. And when I went from kind of full-time to part-time, and that was when I kind of started to take it a wee bit more seriously. Paul Hartley was bringing me to Aloha and off the back of that, he was wanting me to help with the youth setup. I was starting to do my badges. They were willing to put me through my B licence, which was great. Um, and then on top of that, I was playing, obviously still playing part-time as a captain at Aloha. And again, that was a, a good three great years there. We, we won the league in the first season. I'm the captain the second season. We actually played on Fermanagh in the playoff final. We beat them Fermanagh, eh, knocked them out. and eh, We get promoted to championship. And then the very last season, again, stayed in the championship. But at this point, I'd kind of done my badges. And again, I was I was looking forward to kind of... I was going up to do my A, my A licence, sorry. Um, and then the opportunity, I remember Barry, it was Barry Smith at the time, he'd, brought us in and says he felt it was time for a change. He says, I think um, 
and maybe looking at a coaching, a player coaching role and that. And I'm like, well, Barry, you've come in, you've played me 14 out of the last 15 games. So I don't agree with you bumping me because it was a season when there was Rangers, Hibs and Hearts on the <laughs> championship. So I'm thinking, I can get one last one song here and play against these teams. And to be honest, if I'm looking back now, he was probably right because my body wasn't quite what it was. And I'd have been able to sit there, but legs-wise and energy-wise up against these full-time teams that I struggled. And at the time, you call everything under the sun, but but then it works out in the best. And, and then you get the opportunity to go to Albion Rovers. Um, and again, the ambitious club at the time. Um, they'd already had 17, 18 players. And then I managed to speak to Sandy Clark. He was willing to come on board with me. And as I was still going to be a player, then... It worked out really, really well. We go and we win the league. In December last year, you took over at Sterling Albion following the departure of your former teammate, Kevin Rukovic. Um, how's life been at the Beano so far for you? It's been up and down. The very first game, we only had 11, 11 players, well, 12 players, and we were kind of forced to play it with a staff COVID and all that kind of stuff. So that was a bit a bit crazy. Then doing the team talk, I remember, basically in the morning of the game, it was, I'd signed on the, the Monday, I think the game was a Tuesday night, I'd signed on the Monday and in the Tuesday morning, I was going to go along to the game and watch it and stuff, like, without actually taking part. The assistant manager took COVID, so he was then out um, and then I basically had to come in meet the guys, so strange introductions, obviously, and I know I've got a few of the guys who well, play against them and obviously coaching against them, but then, the, <laughs> the lights went out so I'm doing the team top and the lights went out the floodlights I'm like wow what a start this is so you've only got 12 players the, the SFA force you to play the game because you've got a youth team which is a youth team that's in progression there's like a lot of young boys who hadn't even trained with the first team they're maybe 16, 17 had to get a couple of them in to kind of help out and we get beat 1-0 um, I think that then took the team to seven defeats in a row and then the next game I think we played Stenhouse Muir away it's about a derby game and we go down 1-0 but come back and win 2-1 um, and it was, it, was, it was a great great performance and then from then to the end of the season it was a bit stop-start COVID injuries etc um, and then we, can, I think we finished seventh maybe um, yeah. so we kind of finished seventh but but no it was, it was a kind of up and down end of the season uh, and then start of the season again it's kind of started kind of same way a lot of guys away on, on holiday have now just come back we're still kind of working through pre-season so now nah, we've had a few hard games over the last week there um, and again we're probably still a wee bit short uh, the teams we've played against uh, we could we possibly you can see they're kind of against us the Airdrie were full time the other day although I played a couple of games ahead of us um, against Albion Rovers the, the game there the now we'd, we'd probably played uh, most of the kind of first, we tried to split it a wee bit but we kind of played most of the first team guys in the, against the Airdrie on the Saturday and then there was a lot of younger guys and a couple of trialists on the Sunday so it was um, it was just kind of mixing and matching and guys getting game time but no we're, we're now we've got two training sessions to go before we start off in the League Cup section which again will be used to kind of get the guys up to, to full speed um, and again the, the big game that we're kind of looking forward to at home against Aladdin. Absolutely I mean it was just We've also been talking for a while about trying to get you on the show and it's one of these things that kind of fate works its way in a certain magical way sometimes for us because when obviously that pulled out, the, the draw came out, uh, Aberdeen against Sterling Albion, my first thought straight away was this is the perfect opportunity to get Darren on. Um, it uh-huh. gives us the first opportunity to actually to speak with an opposing manager in, in the run-up to a, a fixture. It's just, I mean, you must have been delighted to see that draw come out of the hat. 
Yeah, no, it was great. And again, hopefully it'll be a... Oh, I'll expect I mean, Aberdeen will also have a great away support, so I'm expecting it to be sold out um, capacity-wise. And, and again, it'll be it a Jim Goodwin starting out, so he's he's kind of transformed the squad. He's got a lot of signings coming in. He's lost quite a few as well, so I'm sure he'll have them kind of up and, up and firing by, by, by the time they come round. But no, for, for us and for the players, it'll be a great experience um, to go up against them and and it's an opportunity for the guys to go and kind of showcase their talents and uh, when, when they go and play them it's a Premier League team at home and, and some guys some of the guys have maybe played at that level some guys won't so it's, <clears throat> it's, like it's always these games kind of take care of themselves so um, you want to go and do well you want to work hard and, and again on the night anything can happen can you can you go and take them uh, take the three points can you take it to maybe the penalty situation but again, first and foremost, try to be hard to beat and then off the back of that, see if you can go and nick a goal or two. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one, obviously. It's the first time Aberdeen have been involved in the group stages of the League Cup now, for, well, since they were reintroduced again. So it feels, I think, to a lot of us that these have rolled around very quickly all of a sudden. Obviously, we start again on, well, you guys, do you, you start on Saturday or are you are you got a week off? We are no, we are this Saturday, the Saturday as well. coming as well. We've we got them buttons. So. Yeah. It just depends because sometimes there's Depending where the, the draw is, you'll either maybe play starting the Saturday or starting the Tuesday. Yeah, so we obviously start Sunday and then we're it's a week on Wednesdays uh, when, when we visit Fourth Bank. So it's only the second time Aberdeen have visited the Fourth Bank. The last time was in 1997, so it's going to be a, it's an away trip we've not had to do for a long, long time. Yeah. So I know there's a lot of people I think, looking I think forward I played to that it. game. I think you did, actually. Stephen Glass scored. There was a League Cup game, I'm certain, quarter-final, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm pretty certain you did play it. I was going through the team lines the other day looking at it. Uh, it's going to be an interesting 2-0 2-0 I want to say Stephen Glass and I want to say Joe Miller but I'm not sure if that's uh, if that's right I guess though we were speaking to a couple of Peterhead fans as well the other day um, obviously how quickly the group stages roll around for you guys do you guys almost look at the group stages as being a quasi pre-season as well just to get yourselves really up and running for the league Honestly, yes, because you don't have that much time. You're maybe off five and a half weeks and then you're back in training and you've only really got a month of training before you then start the League Cup. So the month of training will be consisting of, so that's maybe four Saturdays and then you've got two, two or four Tuesdays and, and, and four Thursdays. But again, you're playing games, so it's hard to kind of just give the guys full pelt. If you're playing a game on a Tuesday, you'd usually have a, a listener on a Thursday, but the way we've had to kind of do it, you've got the game on the Tuesday, then you've got the, the training on the Thursday, so again, it's, it's still battering the boys, then you've got, we had the tournament Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you're back in training again Tuesday, so there's, there's not really any rest for the guys as such, you're just yeah. kind of, you're just kind of battering them, so that when the games do come round, they're kind of, they're up to kind of full speed, and then these, these games come even earlier, so most of your guys, there'll be a few that have played for a full 90 minutes, but Quite a few of them, probably half the team, probably haven't played a full 90 minutes yet. So it's um, it's just one of those things usually. I remember back in the day, you'd be like looking at four, four games, five games individually that you're 45, maybe 60, 70, 80, and then you've got your full 90s anyway. But just because of the, the lack of time you've got, then it's, it's hard to do that. And the lack of bodies, because you've got a lot of young boys that are going to have to, that you bring in. You've got maybe trialists as well to kind of use. So it's, it's is a hard one. You want to try and give everyone a fair crack in the whip and, and make sure they're all kind of fully fit and fully focused by the time it comes round. Absolutely. Uh, you had Mason Hancock, didn't you, on loan last season yep. from Aberdeen? How did Mason get on with you guys? Brilliant. Really, really nice guy. Um, got a wee bit about him. I think he'll do well. I think he will get his chance at Aberdeen. 
Uh, we played him, he's more a kind of left centre half, but we played him left back and then wing back and then we had him at left centre half as well. But no, I think he's got a chance. Um, and again, I know he's going out on loan, or I think he is out on the Ardrove, possibly. It was meant to be, um, but it seems to have been halted anyway in the meantime because obviously Jack right. McKenzie picked up an injury against uh, uh. Thistle last week. And then, interestingly, Jim Goodwin just was talking a couple of days ago. Uh, Mason went out with the squad to, to Spain for the camp and he, he highlighted Mason and Jack Milne as being the two who the young boys who've really, really yeah. stepped up. So it sounded almost as though as well there was a bit of a thought that Mason might feature more in the first team squad actually than out on loan potentially. I think he's got a chance, to be honest. I definitely think he's he's got the right attitude. He's got a wee bit about him. He, he'll talk, he'll organise, he's very aggressive as well, which is good. His recovery pace in that is good as well. One of the things was it would at times when he's done something well, it would maybe become too easy for him and then he'd okay. maybe get a wee bit like days ago. But the thing was, if he made a mistake and he lost the ball, because his recovery time to get back in and win it back and not make the same mistake, he learns from his mistakes. So he's definitely one that you can keep your eye on. What are your hopes and expectations for the season ahead with Sterling? We, again, we want to be up there challenging. We want to be the top end. Worst case scenario is to get to the playoffs. Um, Sterling, are, for me, are, they're a big team. They're, when they're up there, they've, they've got the fan base there. They just need a kind of team to kind of to go and produce for them uh, week in, week out and kind of take them higher up the, higher up the leagues. Uh, you look at some of the other teams, I know and now there's a lot of teams that are maybe two or three years ago maybe never quite had the money like a, for instance, a Cove a Kelty East Kilbride yeah. Darvo uh, Queen's Park are now full time as well so you're looking at all these teams saying two or three years ago when you're trying to sign players they, they weren't really competition for you whereas now it's like Jesus <laughs> you've got guys going down there because they're getting good money it's maybe on their doorstep it's easy for travelling um, so it's, it's just one of these things it just becomes harder and harder the recruitment uh, but no, we, we're still looking to sign maybe two, at least two or three players uh, for the season ahead. And then we've still got a few guys, one guy's away in honeymoon, we've got another guy who's still kind of injured now. So it's it's that way, just trying to get everything together. And, and hopefully once, I mean, we'll, we'll give our all in the League Cup section. But the main thing for us is, is the league. If, if we can make sure we can start well and again, to be challenging at the right end of the, the table, that's for sure. Absolutely. Listen, Dan, and we'll, we'll wrap things up here. Um, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. I know because you're, like say, you're busy preparing your side for the coming season. We wish you all the best, yourself and Sterling Albion, for the season ahead, obviously with the exception of the game uh, coming <laughs> up at Fourth Bank. But we'll wrap things up with the same question that we just ask all of our guests, um, Darren, and that is just what does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? It's, it's the, team that, the team I grew up with. It's the team that gave me a chance in, in football. And again, it's, it's massive. Personally, I would love to get back there one day. Um, so again, that's that's up to me. If I can go and do well where I'm at, whatever club it may be, and I work my way back up through the ranks like I did as a young boy, as a player, um, that, that for me would be would be kind of talk about dream jobs and all that. That's something I would love to do to go back there and you know a wee bit of unfinished business just from the way I end up leaving Aberdeen and, and the way the way it went. But no, it's it's, it's it's definitely a place close to my heart. That's for sure. Darren Young. Thank you so much for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast. Top man, stand free. Thanks very much. And so that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, or whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 53, where we plan to review our fixtures against Dumbarton and Sterling Abbey. And it all depends what happens at the fourth bank and 
how much we have to talk about, I think, Gav, it's fair to say. Yeah, if it goes to PKs, if there's, you know, a mass brawl. All bets are off. Whatever could happen in the weird and wacky and wonderful world of Scottish football. Absolutely. So potentially both of those in the same episode, maybe if not, might be a mini pod. But also next week, we'll also look forward to our final Premier Sports Group Cup stage fixture with Wraith Rovers as the Dons look to seek an exact revenge against the Kirkcaldy outfit after last season's debacle. We'll do that in the company of Niall Russell from Wraith Rovers themselves. I mean, I'd like to call it more like an exorcism. Absolutely. Definitely. So, hey, listen, look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. One year's worth of content in the bank.